what's fucked up is before I introduce you, I, I quit coffee last January and now I am back on coffee and I have a love hate relationship with it. I never did any drugs my whole life and caffeine's the only drug I've ever really done. And I drank it every day of the month of December last year and it made me um, hyped up, dehydrated, shit myself, want to take a nap. I love that feeling. I um, live for that feeling. And so now I'm back on it. I don't know fucking why I'm on it, dude. It makes me jittery. It, I, I don't know what to do. I think I'm what's addicted the, to something. What's the benefit? It makes me feel alive and shit, man. I, I just, that's what it is. That's the benefit. But I feel alive anyway. I'm high on life anyway. Well, you know, I say harm reduction. Drink water. Limit your... <laughs> Lots of hydration. Limit the intake. Know what's going to happen. You know, I tried to manage addiction for years. Mm-hmm. And eventually I did have to surrender and stop. Yeah. How many and, years have you been sober for now? Um, 30 Holy fuck. I know. I just want to let you know, I got clean in 1990. And if you know, or your listeners know the history of L7 and who our associations were through the 90s, can you imagine? Yeah. I was just most of the time knocking at bathroom doors saying things like, are you guys okay? Hello? Yeah. <laughs> I just watched that doc again. And I see. I saw you chilling with and the people you with and- Rest in peace, a, a lot of them and all that. Anyway, let me introduce you yeah. first. Welcome to the podcast, One Life, One Chance podcast. I'm your host, Toby Morse. Today, I have a very, very special guest. Um, musician, photographer, designer, maybe even like director. You kind of narrated that doc. I, I don't know. You do a lot of things. You have many hats. Uh, Jennifer Finch, thank you for being on my podcast. Hello. You're a badass, too. And I learned so what? much. You're a badass. And my wife grew up loving your band and the music. And my wife was into the Riot Girl and all that stuff. And I went and saw all those bands, every single one of the bands from that world. And... But just watching your doc a couple weeks ago and I knew you Did you hold her jacket while she went in the pit? Fuck yeah. She had a fucking crew <laughs> called she had a crew called Girls Up Front Posse. It's a, they had shirts, there was a whole crew of them. And you can see my wife in all these old school photos up front, diving, all that shit. Like, yeah, my wife's a badass. She scares me. Mm-hmm. Um but you were part you, you were As part of a the, good woman should. Yeah, and you were part of the soundtrack to her life. Oh, so it's wow, an honor to have you. you here. Thank you, thank you. And um how are you? Well, outside of a worldwide pandemic. Yeah. I appreciate you being here, too. I'm doing good. Yeah. It's, I'm a, doing it's, good. An, it's an interesting doing time. Good. It is. It's an interesting time. And uh, yeah, I haven't played a show in a year almost. It'll be one year next month since, since I was on tour. And, it's interesting, uh, right? You mm-hmm. know, I, I realized how much uh, I was reliant on live shows as cardio, like part of a healthy regime. Like totally. Social exercise, movement, and, and breath. Yeah, it's so true. And I, I, yeah. I got to make sure when I get back on the road that I'm fucking in tip top shape. I try to work out every day and exercise and cardio and I'll eat good and all that How stuff. How sad for you. What? <laughs> well, you bought into that, huh? What? No, it's what, what you just said. I'm just going to no, say. I, I just I, turned 50. I haven't played a show in my 50s yet. So I. I <gasps> it's so great. Okay. It, it's I'm just not, better. It's just better. Okay. I'm not nervous about it. I just know that I've always tried to be in shape. I always try to stay. In good, in good, in good shape myself, just for myself, not for anybody else. Let's talk about that. Okay. Let's talk about it. Okay. I, as a person who grew up having to read women's health magazines and the, 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 the vision of women's health, uh, and, and having to subvert that and redefine it. I recently got a subscription to men's health magazine. Interesting. Have you ever seen this? I have not. I know about it, but is brutal on the impressions of men. Mm. Everybody is overfit, photoshopped, lifestyle perfect. The covers are insane. It, they do not look human. Wow. And I 
I feel for men because I think men are now going through this pressure to somehow remain fit and it might be a little too much. Just my opinion. So you're saying like the, the look of being for like the six pack and all that chiseled stuff and yeah, the look of going under calorie of like consistently building muscle mass, um, keeping that on when really it's what you, sh- yeah, it's a lot of pressure yeah, no, and you're in the public space as a 50 year old man, you're kind of under just as pr- maybe more pressure than I would be at this point. Yeah. Inter- I mean, I, I don't do it for like. I'm never posting my shirt off. I don't do. I don't use any filters. I'm not like vain. I just want to stay healthy. I just want to, I want to be able to keep, you know surf with my son, skate with my son. I've seen you with your shirt off. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, not not since I've been in my fifties. Anyway, my uggle, point. Uggle, uggle, uggle. Okay, listen. My my point isn't to. I want to look the best I can at fifty. Take my shirt off. Blah, blah, blah. No, I just want to stay healthy so I can keep up with my. Uh huh. And, and that's it, how they get you. Mm. No, seriously, that's yeah. how they get you. Interesting. But I admire that you're doing that. Well, I, and I, I support you. Thank you. I, I do feel like that's that comes from a lot of social media as well. Is like all the different, um, I don't know what they're called. Like the little you said it before. Like well, it comes from marketing, not necessarily yeah. from social media. Which is, you know, marketing tel- finds our pain. It finds our pain and then sells a solution. Social yeah. media has just become some kind of you know magnifier of that. Yeah, I, I feel. I, I think about it for women too as well. Like. When it was all those magazines, they had to get go to the store and get the magazines of the skinny girl on the cover and all that stuff. And you had to go actually get a magazine. It was really before the internet. And now it's just like, I feel bad for like, a, I don't have a daughter, but like all the pressures of the Kardashians, just all this different world of like, you have to look like this. And it's not just in a magazine. It's on your phone all day long. It gets, gets, it just gets rammed in people's faces all day long how they think they should look. You know what I mean? Yeah, but it's easy to subvert that with one simple conversation, which is this is not reality. These are people presenting cartoon. They're presenting characters of the ideals that they value. You can do that too. That's true. Just know where you're, you know, where you start and your cartoon ends or however you want to say it, where you end and your cartoon starts. And that's as performers, right? That's kind of, we, we show up in our, they're authentic. I mean, we're probably more authentic than most, but sure. it's still a cartoon. It's still a performance. It's performative. Yeah, but I do think sometimes, I feel like the generation now, they, they can't, they can't <laughs> uh, uh, know reality from fantasy. They think it's all, you know what I mean? It's hard to, for ki- kids to know what's real and what's not, especially on the internet, But man. that's been the conversation since, you know, World War One. It was That was the conversation when society modernized. Okay. That's always been the conversation. And it's still, so you have the conversation. Yeah, I, I hope people have are having those conversations with their children and and being open and all this, especially with all the pressures and with social media and just just everything with like you're just saying. But um, I don't know. I I've never looked at a men's health yeah. magazine, and I'm now I'm scared to actually. There's a really great artist that I love called Oh gosh, see, we're doing that thing, Maria. Okay, okay. edit this out. She <laughs> does. You know, she's young. She's in her twenties, and she does a lot of work with, you know, putting your as other women photographers and artists, you know, putting your body forward as something that's to be criticized by yourself or others. Mm. And, um, you know, that that's, I think that, that kids today are smart and they're going to get that. They're going to look at that. It might take a little shaping within their community, but they have a lot of opportunity Yeah, to have these conversations. I, I love that. I love that. And I feel like communicate, I feel like open conversations with your, 
your family and your especially your children is super important, especially now, especially especially right now at this moment we're going through and just kids going to school and online, just just everything. It's just a very um yeah. it's very surreal time. Do you know what I think is the problem with kids today? Tell me. I'll tell you. <laughs> I think that socially we're becoming so stratified between age groups. Like when you and I were kids, we would go to shows or events that would be all ages. There'd be all True. different people. And now it feels odd for me to communicate with someone who's like maybe under 18. And I, I kind of look at that like, why am I uncomfortable doing it? Because, you know, respect for the family group or or whatever has ended up being so. I think kids today are lacking in um, older mentors because at one time that could have been dangerous. But I look back at my life when I was 14, I knew people in their 20s. Yeah. And communicated. And super young. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I started going to shows. I mean, my first, very first show I went to, I convinced my guitar teacher, Mark Solano, who had a little place here on Pico yeah. uh, to give guitar lessons, to convince my father to take me to a Ramon show at Ackerman Ballroom at UCLA wow. in like 19, I mean, it was 79 or something. I mean, Holy it wasn't shit. early, early, early. Yeah. But um, yeah, and I was introduced to live shows. That was your first live show? It was Ramon? my first live show. Damn. I had been... I mean, I like a lot of people, I might have seen other live shows, but that was the first, like, that kind of show, you know? Yeah. What kind of music were you in before you saw, were you, what kind of music were you listening to before you saw the Ramones? Were you already into punk? No, I was, you know, I was a little kid and I listened to little kid music and yeah. I had a babysitter that came over and brought the Ramones and brought the Clash and brought these bands over, Devo, which were great for being a kid. Like, yeah. they were energized and they were you know kooky and nonsensical in a way that like kids understand yeah and um yeah and then through that my father in the i was raised just by my father yeah i mean i was raised by my mother and i was taken out of her home there were mental health issues like i grew up with parents with mental health issues but okay. i was raised by my father and he would do anything just to get me to read. Like reading was really important to his generation. And he would take me to bookstores and let me get any book I wanted. And I was in the music section as wow. we all would be. So I picked up stuff like um, Patti Smith's poetry, books about punk rock in the UK. This is all in the later 70s. Damn. I even picked up because I, you know, we had talked i went i went to hamilton yeah um i eventually went they had a, a magnet school that that left that was called west side leadership magnet and i went to west, west side leadership magnet but uh and then they moved the music school in so yeah. i'm not part of the music school program okay. i actually didn't like music growing up you didn't no i liked i mean i loved listening to music and i loved performance but I did not like having to learn the discipline of music. Mm. So I wasn't a music school person, person. at all. Um, I was a visual arts person and a performance person. I gotcha. My first band was called Uh, and uh, U A. No U H H. Okay, uh, okay. Uh, when I was in high school, and we would go perform in public spaces like garages, uh, you know, uh, just uh, impromptu performance. We would send out the word and do these performances. And people in that band later on to went on to a band called Savage Republic. I don't know okay. if you heard, but uh, very- It's in my notes, I think, over here. Yeah, and it just, <laughs> a lot of people don't, uh, I don't Savage know, know about this part of Los Angeles history, but I think it's kind of music history and art history, but it's- Yeah, I love that. It's pretty, I, I think that it's the uh, coming together of the punk world and the art world and the hardcore world was what their 80s were about in Los Angeles. For yeah, me. yeah. And you grew up. You grew up close to here, right? 
Not, yeah, not I far, did. Right? I did. I grew up in West Los Angeles, and I'm in the Hamilton District. Yeah. Uh, Webster Junior High. Okay. Um, when I entered the seventh grade, I had dyed my hair red with writ dye and was immediately <laughs> beaten up by all of these kids what? that were skaters immediately. So I was homeschooled for years. And then later, later on, you know, in the eighties being in, you know, uh, I was in the music scene and involved in the scene and didn't different bands. I joined L7 in 1986. Yep. Um, but these guys, <laughs> Mike, Mike Jensen and a few of the other guys that I went to um, junior high with ended up being in bands like neighborhood watch and, Beowulf, Beowulf and, sick. <laughs> so, and they were like, you know, the apple that you, I, I did that. I'm really sorry. Like they all apologized. It was so sweet. That's amazing. And you, and you're in a band called Sugar, Sugar Baby Doll too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. With Courtney yeah. Love. I was, um, wow. you know, Courtney Love and I met. Oh, I'm gonna say around 82, 83. She was involved in the LA. We'd go to hardcore shows and punk shows together, and artist lofts and all the stuff. Yeah. And um, in '85, uh, I'm gonna say '84. Um, I graduated high school. I really, really, really wanted to move to San Francisco. San Francisco was part of my dreamscape. Love San Francisco. A lot of bands would go back and forth from LA to San Francisco. Um, you know, I grew up seeing the DKs and MDC and um, awesome. all of these, you know, bands that came out of San Francisco. It was like Frightwig. Yeah. Um, and uh, also very good friends of mine, um, Roddy and Billy, who are in Faith No More, that was like a punk art band at the time. Yeah. Both moved to San Francisco and we were all friends with Courtney. And so I kind of used the joining the band as like leverage to get up there and then go to San Francisco State. Okay. Where I majored in computer science. Wow. Computer science? <laughs> computer science. I always, I was, I've been a gamer. I've loved video games. I've loved wow. the digital space since the 80s. And San Francisco State reckoned that they were going to have like a digital musical, digital arts department within the years that I had gone up there. So I started... Yeah. I, I failed out terribly. Drugs are a huge part of my story. Huge parts. I don't know, like, I'm completely an open book about it. Yeah. But, you know, that was kind of the priority. What, drugs um, were a priority, you mean? Drugs were a priority. Drugs were really a priority. And how, how old were you started? Um, I, be, I first uh, started at 13. It's kind of a wow. sad story. I, start, so I became an IV drug user, opiate IV drug user at 13. I chronically ran away from home. I centered a lot of my social life around other people that used. Wow. And um, I got clean in 90. Wow, man. It was just the, the kids you were rolling with, the people you were hanging out with, the crowd. and. You know, I'm, you know, I would say I'm less of, I'm probably more of an instigator and a, and a controller, to be honest. I never wow. forced anything on anybody. I just knew that I for whatever reason, my psychological makeup, I just functioned better on medication. Wow. Right. Until it stops working. And that's mm -hmm. really the story. Like I'm hearing you say just even something like uh, with, with caffeine, yeah. you recognize the dysfunction, right? Yeah. So like I could always recognize the dysfunction and the character defect that would come around it, but the benefit outweighed the negative, right? Mm -hmm. You know, so it was kind of always managing it and uh, I was actually um, the only minor that I've ever known who was on methadone maintenance here in Los Angeles. I was on methadone wow. three times um, through suicide prevention clinic in Los Angeles and through other clinics. 
And yeah, I had to have my father sign a permission slip to be on methadone. Wow. And so how we, so it was really intense. I mean, think of my poor daddy. Like that's that's insane. Yeah. Total insanity. I just feel grateful that I was able to get clean while both of my parents were still alive. They saw that. Yeah. Yeah. They could see. So you were doing drugs all through school. All through school. And still getting good grades and still passing and shit. Yeah. Wow. I don't recommend it, but I did. I did very well. I came out of the public school system like a, you know, three over three point five. Did well on my SATs. That's incredible, man. And getting fucked up. And wow, getting fucked up man. with it. You know, a lot of that behavior though was completely bolted in to. And I'm not blaming anybody, but there's a lot of. Hi, there's Stella. a little. There's a little dog on my lap right now, <laughs> Stella. Oh, she's so cute. Um, <laughs> you know the the generations before, like I, you know, people talk about the boomers, but I think there was a really important generation that was, you know, kind of called the blank generation. That was blank what, generation you know, punk rock came out of, and they were people that were subverting the hippies, but also subverting, you know, the nuclear family style, whatever, you know. So yeah, yeah, yeah. I read a lot of Burroughs and Bukowski and Chandler and like all these authors that came out and they were really, you know, and the boomer authors too. And, the, you know, uh, and they were really influential. And I think at that point, they didn't really understand the narrative of the disease of addiction or how yeah. it would affect others. They too started using later in life. They whereas did. L- later where I was starting younger. So mm-hmm. yeah, it all, it's, it's a problem. It's a problem, but it's a problem that I don't want to bury. I want to talk about it. If yeah. People are willing to talk Helping about people, it. Helping people, yeah. I mean, the people listening who've been through this, you know, similar things. Right. Did you? Were you drinking first, or you just went straight no, to hard? Just you know, I just had one of those. You know, wow. I, I I grew up in a really hardcore, working class neighborhood with people that 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 smoking and drinking at fifteen was normalized. Like that okay. was normal. You nobody went to college. Everyone got a trade. They yeah. did stuff with their hands. Um, you know, it was multiracial. You yeah. know, growing up, and the, it, that was consistent across most families. Yeah, you know, and um, but that's just what it was. That was the seventies, working yeah. class seventies, Los Angeles. And you have siblings too, right? Your brothers and sisters. Nope, I'm an only child. Oh, shit. Can't okay. you tell? Can't you tell? <laughs> and I'm adopted. Oh wow, that's right. Yeah, it's right. <laughs> yeah, wow. I'm adopted. Yeah. So how old were you when you got adopted? Uh, probably one. Okay, okay, I mean, okay. you know, prior to memory. Yeah. That's freaking crazy. I mean, you're a survivor, man. Thir- so it's sober since 90. I like to call it clean. Yeah, but you've been through a lot. I mean, sober implies alcohol. I was never a big drinker, but okay. I'm sure if there was no, I don't know. You know, I don't how know about how weed and stuff like that? Weed and cigarettes or? I, it didn't do what I needed it to do. Mm. I mean, I was, I was... Uh, you know, there's just something about me, the way my emotional state and my behavior and my cognitive thinking that just required a shutdown, a full you didn't know, you shutdown. You know what, what triggered or caused it? Like just, was it because you were adopted or because you really like, I don't know. What, what, I, don't I think that it's because I believe in the narrative of the disease of addiction that's kind of like possibly just built in. Okay. It built in. It may have manifested in a different way, but it comes in the form of obsession, compulsion, fear, denial, and destructive self-centeredness. Those are like kind of the key things that I look at in my life, even today, with or without drugs. Yeah. I have a character build that lends itself to those five aspects, Mm -hmm. you know, and my thinking is not 
always my friend in it, my cognitive like thing that starts going on like in the yeah. morning informing me of who I am and what society is and what my body looks like and who yeah. at work is friendly and who isn't and yeah. you know how to charge clients oh hi no, sorry. sorry no it's all good it's all good now it sounds really powerful um <laughs> so when did you start like wanting to play music and, and play bass and play an instrument like how young were you yeah I think well so I was in high school when I joined uh and I really <laughs> saw I love that I saw the power. Prior to that, I was a photographer. I took yeah. my camera to shows. Yep. Uh, it allowed me some kind of flexibility and access to the performers in the community. I became part of the community. I never, you know, I think it's really important when I tell my story for people to note, I was not a commercial photographer. There are people that photograph the for Los sure. Angeles scene and the skate scene that work commercial photographers yeah i was an amateur in the in the sense like i think my stuff had quality mm -hmm. but i wasn't selling it i yeah. it wasn't i was donating it or you know giving it to fanzines or you were documenting hanging out with your friends and seeing yeah, bands and exactly stuff. at 13 years old i think you started doing that right yep yep yep, yep. i wow, photographed man. uh my first show was the cramps and castration squad at the whiskey in 1981 wow that I have. Yeah. And that was four. It's, the book is called, you put out was 14 and shooting. I did not put out a book. Okay. I put out a body of work and I just call it 14 and shooting okay. and shooting is clearly also about the drug use yeah, and yeah, the yeah. culture of that time. Yeah. Wow. And so, yeah, it was like an art show, right? Um, oh, yeah, I did an art show one. in 06 and I did yeah. it as an amateur art show without a book or without any promotion around it. It's you know, really I, cool, I just man. did it as uh, to the for the community, also for people to help me identify some of the people in the photos, and for them to tell me their stories. I yeah. wanted to sort of hear their stories and their vantage point, and I, that's what I still do. I actually did a Kickstarter a couple of years ago because I wanted to be able to digitize my collection, mm -hmm. and I raised a good amount of money. I raised twelve thousand dollars. Like wow. the community really showed up to help me. Thank you, everybody who supported I'm, that. That's awesome. Yeah, right. Maybe it was eight thousand. I can't remember. Still but a it lot. Ended That's up, great. It ended up costing me more than that <laughs> because as I was going through, I didn't have eight thousand negatives like I thought. Mm. I had twelve thousand. And oh, so even to this very day, I am still sorting through images and can't exactly figure out how what the next step is gonna be with it. That's amazing. That'd be cool to have see all that stuff, though. Your, <laughs> your pictures of Crass and Chili Peppers and Bad Religion and all those bands, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like the early right, yeah. You, know, you could definitely see in the shift when it gets to be about 85 that a lot of the people that I start to photograph really are people that are, how do we say, held together by the drug scene as well as the love of music, mm -hmm. or more like the lifestyle. Yeah. Right? So Chili Peppers, you know, it's kind of known. Oh, yeah. Right? For sure. Um, you know, and some of the bands from that time yeah but i still do have you know had the hardcore experience that oh that experience of where they call like the suburbs came into los angeles and kind of started forming yeah hardcore and i love listening to Lindsay's interview that you looked oh, at Lindsay Lindsay carmichael, carmichael yeah. because he was talking about shows that we had both gone to yeah uh, Devonshire Downs, which was part of CSUN that he's talking about seeing Black Flag at. You know, I was mm -hmm. at that show as well. And then listening to Angelo talking about coming into West Los Angeles and talking about the situation of busing yeah. in Los Angeles. Because in my in my school, those were the kids that were being bused to my to um, the kids, white kids were being bused into my school. Okay. And what it allowed was this 
cross culture of looking for kids that from the suburbs I'd never met suburban kids that liked punk rock okay. I was from Venice so yeah. we had this own horrible I mean I'm not horrible um challenging <laughs> scene that was really challenging it okay. was really challenging to be in this scene there was a lot of like knucklehead affiliation violent violent like just macho or oh my god the t- worst testosterone and the worst mm. <laughs> okay not the worst not the worst no, i can imagine i've seen i heard about read about seen video all oh that. yeah it was crazy violence yeah, yeah 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 but the violence was also like at least if you grew up affiliated the violence wasn't randomized in the that era it became very randomized. You never knew who was going to be a victim and who was going to mm. be a perpetrator ever. So it was like, that was kind of the worst aspects of it. You never really knew who your friends were unless you really committed to knowing who your friends were, which came with a whole other set of issues. Sorry if I'm talking cloaked, but I think... No, it's all good, no. Your listeners will know. So <laughs> I met through a... a a, a woman who was a woman, a girl who was bust in to Webster, who I still know to this day. I met like Bad Religion and, cool. you know, Caustic Cause and like all these bands from basically the San Fernando Valley in Orange County. Yeah, yeah. Right? So it kind of expanded 1981, 82, and 83 for me. That's amazing. In kind of like this way where yeah i mean and then you do you know that i came when i came back from san francisco i worked at triple x records oh i know that no yeah so um in the booking department okay so we handled like the damned and gbh and um whoever was on there back then yeah right you know but (laughs) also bolted on to that the guy who ran it doug karen was a east coast hardcore guy 100 percent. so he would bring in bad religion and all these different bands judge uh, youth of today that's cool and so i worked with all of those bands in in the 80s and then you know l7's first record was on epitaph yes i do know that okay so we were like notes yes one of the first releases we were actually the second release but right in the first like presentation of epitaph records and we went on tour with bad religion for the suffer tour Mm -hmm. um which was 1988 89 let's say 89 it's a great record it's a great record but hardcore outside of cbgb's the axiom in nowhere in Los Angeles and then you know San Francisco at like the Keystone just didn't exist or you know like Gilman Street was having trouble everyone was Mm -hmm. having trouble like and we would show up to these shows like in St. Louis or in Boston with either nobody there nobody we're talking bad religion wow man the bartender you know what I mean nobody there and then even in shows where these hardcore kids, which are part of the extension of the problem, but in different cities, would show up and just turn their backs and sit on the stage and just boo bad religion the whole time. Like almost Weird. as a for- it What was is the, the point most bes- energy of that? That's crazy. I think it, w- well, no, I mean, the point of it is that, you know, you in that kind of environment, you need to find your enemies, right? Okay. You need to find and True. declare your enemies. So bad religion was serving a purpose. But then there's like, hey, we're L7. And they were just like, what <laughs> i mean can you imagine the confusion yeah when we took the stage and wow. and l7 has been live a force to be reckoned with for sure powerful 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 deep resonating you know almost metal you know what i mean yeah. in, in 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 the approach and it 
like those hardcore, they just did not see what's coming at all. Mm. You know, there was, of course, metal present. Yeah. But it was so genrefied. Like that was the really start of the genres, right? Mm-hmm. Was, so, so you came back from San Francisco. How did you do in college? Like how was that? Computer science. Did completely you completely dropped out? I mean, Dang. I didn't. I dropped out. I came home in '85. Wow. Uh, 85, 86, and then joined L7 late, late 86, and then worked in LA, you know, 87, 88, 89. Wow, man. So the band didn't work out. The other band with the Courtney did that for a little bit and came yeah, back. Yeah, we did. You know what? We did a recording, which I still have the master. Wow. And we took a lot of photographs. So there's stuff there. Yeah. I, we're not exactly sure. I talked to her every once in a while to see what she wants to do with it. The other member was Cat Bajellan, who later went on to a band called Babes in Toyland. Okay. Um, you know, so it was kind of a in, really interesting stew. Mm-hmm. You know, so I came back to Los Angeles in, oh, geez, it's always a little blurry. You have a great, you have a great memory, though. Early 86. And then Courtney <clears throat> ended up following me down to Los Angeles. I like to say follow down. I'm going to say <laughs> that there are parts of where she followed me. And um, she came down and she really admired what L7 was doing. She really wanted something like that for herself, along with other bands in our community. Inspired her. And, um she pulled together a band of people from LA that were their first lineup of whole. Wow, man. Which included a guy that I had been dating for years named Mike Griesbrecht, who later went on to be in Gigi Allen's band, oh, The Murder shit. Junkies, which I'm so proud of. <laughs> I've always had this weird, like you guys grew up with Gigi Allen, Gigi right? Fucking... We grew up with like, what the f is that what the f is that how did you let that happen in your community do you know what i mean so i have a really great you know like i never really (laughs) think anything is ever good or bad it's what serves and doesn't serve yeah and that's like always that so (laughs) yeah yeah my wife saw them many many times and i said talked about yesterday Gigi's always asked my wife to come dance and stuff. She's like, I dance and feel like she, I don't know how the heck she knew him. She, she has really crazy pictures of him that might go into the museum of death. They've asked her recently to have some of her photos from there. Cause she knew, she knew this guy. I don't know. Listeners, I don't know how my wife knew this guy or whatever, but anyway, he died in the same venue that H2O played the next day at the gas station in Manhattan. He died the night before at the same venue. Oh we wow. I did not know that. <clears throat> yeah. In on the bad religion tour in 1989. <laughs> Do you know Mike Gitter? Of course. of course. What up, Gitter? Shout out to Gitter. He listens. What up, Gitter? Oh, has he been on the show yet? No, yeah, but he listens. Oh. I'm going to have you on, Gitter. Mike. Bring him in. Yes. Bring him in. So we have been friends because of that connection with Triple X. Triple X, yeah. You know, he's a writer, and he did his own fanzine, and he really was involved in the music scene. Yes, he was. And so... In, at that period, I went to go. I had never met him. You know, this was all the days when all those stories, writing letters, all this kind of stuff. And um, uh, we were in Boston with Bad Religion, and I went to go meet him for yeah. the first time in a business hangout at his loft, wherever yeah. he lived, our apartment. And across the street was a Gigi Allen show in a venue, and they wow. had stationed two guys outside the show dressed in black with shotguns and i was at the and mike was like how can he do this to this you know just going off and i on the other hand was just like i have never seen that in my entire life that kind of organization where you are going to go into this show really like i'd always been to hardcore shows and like that impression of you are you know, you're really testing the limits of survival. Like 100%. I know, you know what I mean? In some of the shows in Los Angeles and it, that was like, wow, it has hit the crescendo. 
That is crazy. It's like crazy. the shark has been jumped in my mind. <laughs> Dudes with guns outside. Holy shit. Two shotguns, but militarized. Do you know what I mean? Like when yeah. you. <laughs> Holy shit. Like that's insane, man. So you, wow. So you've seen Gigi Ali, you've seen him perform, obviously. I didn't see him perform Ever? then. Okay, no, yeah. no, no, no. Okay. I saw him perform quite a bit, yeah, like yeah. after when, uh, yeah. later later on. Wow, man. That's crazy. All right, so now, you, now you're in L7, and um, he, your first record's on uh, Epitaph. Mm-hmm. And so that tour, when you get back from that tour, uh, from the Suffer tour, um, are you guys excited about, is that like your first real tour, like internet, like nation tour, national tour? You know, I think that when I joined L7, one of the mindsets that shifted was this idea that we had to tour. Like I had that yeah. from the early hardcore days, like that you did not need to wait for a record company. You just I needed to go and you needed to have these experiences. And yeah, they were going to be messy. They weren't going to be perfect. They weren't going to be what came before you, Yeah, but you needed to go on that as an adventure. Yeah. And we, you know, I, I feel that we, went on epitaph because we would have that opportunity it would make sense to people that were i don't know what you want to say i don't want to say the word fans uh, let's use the word clients clients That's of like, epitaph i like, that. <laughs> <laughs> you I like know, that. that they would understand who we were in that yeah. context they yeah. would understand that this is a band that this a band provides you with like energy and yep. that you go see this band live That's you know, so when we got back with not that experience in our back pocket, Mm -hmm. (laughs) there was some shift to maybe we needed to look at the Northwest or we needed to look outside of Los Angeles. And we had been going up and playing in San Francisco and we kind of had the opportunity and like Courtney Love was working at this point in a record store in Portland and she had sent me a package like at the Christmas of 89. Mm hmm that were records like Sonic Youth on Sub Pop, yeah, Sub you know, Pop. Mud Honey, um, all those early protos that were on Sub Pop. But yeah. they also had hardcore bands too. Like Fits of Depression kind of was cycling in and out and okay. the derelicts, you know what I mean? So yeah. it all kind of this made sense to me in this really interesting way. Mm-hmm. So we worked our way up there and got them to commit to doing they Sub Pop. Do you yeah. know about Sub Pop? Yeah. Okay. So they had the Singles of the Month Singles Club. Singles of the Month, yep. Right? Which was this really interesting way to do music, which yeah. was you paid a set amount of money per year, and you received a seven-inch single at the beginning of each month, and it was either a different band or a split single. That's cool. So L7 had the full 45, both sides, both songs, um, as the Single of the Month for January 1990. Wow. And we went on to do an EP with them. And all the things, all the bells and whistles, right? Yeah. Which also allowed us to go to Europe because that's what we really had Once wanted to, to do, yeah. right? And we were never exactly sure if we were going to do a full length with them. And we actually never officially did. But, and this is the kind of thing that I was going to ask you about, or even your, I, there's a really interesting thing that I think in my participation of music history, which is that I have seen music distributed in all its modern forms. Okay. Like when I was a kid, you could get music books that would have written out music and you 
musicians could play this music like they could play pop music or whatever it was right publishing of music like as a songwriter you would write songs and people would notate it and write publishing and then vinyl recording right when we were on epitaph cassette was about to take over vinyl right so we had gotten to have on epitaph vinyl and cassette we wanted to do the compact disc or the cd (laughs) but brett Gerwitz, who the owner of Epitaph said, look, it's just going to be too, it just doesn't make sense to do this. It's going to be too expensive to do this. So it was always kind of our vision of the next label, we're going to have them do compact disc, right? (laughs) Like this is our goal. So we went on Sub Pop and we were like, we'll do, you know, because the EP came out on vinyl. Yeah. It came out on cassette. And we were like, you got to do compact disc. And they said, no, or we would only do this if you provide extended songs. So we mm. went and did some recordings. We did some covers and it came out on compact disc. However, what it did not come out on was a vinyl because oh. right at that time, the extended release only came out on compact disc. Wow. Right. And then moving on, because I have more to this story, we... Um, signed with a local Los Angeles label called Slash Records. Yep. Proto-punk, like, uh, you know, OG LA punk label. X, Blasters, Los Lobos, like, great. I can see the logo right now. I remember the shit. Oh, yeah. my God. And then later, Misfits. So I'm like, hmm, yeah. you know, this and Faith No More. Wow. So they had, like, this mix of these bands that ended up being able to, through the support of Slash Records, really successfully be able to tread between what I'm going to call indie punk and the scene. Yeah. But also in the, the, the commercialization that you would never question the Ramones or the cramps on. Right. But that was a topic at the time and it felt like slack and it completely backfired. It did not work. But the thing that I'll say <laughs> in the narrative that I'm telling again, <laughs> no vinyl was released. Oh, sh- right. Compact disc. So we, you know, L7's <laughs> release career has, or at least mine with L7, has yeah. bookended those two aspects of how music is received. Mm-hmm. Um, this year, 2020, <laughs> if this is when you're listening, yes. marks the 30th anniversary of the L7 Smell the Magic release on Sub Pop. Wow. 1990 is considered the official release. Okay. And they did repackage on vinyl and they only made 500 wow versions of the extended version that's of amazing. Smell the magic so you get the extra songs like just like me and some of the other that already came out already it just came out a, you know it's 2020 so it just came out and was <laughs> like huh okay well we, we were gonna tour it and we had the whole thing styled but it kind of means anyone who's listening right now i think they're over at king's road merch or possibly sub pop still has yeah has them, but there is That's cool. it's hard a product. Wow. Hard product. Yeah. You know? Like hard product. What am took I trying to many, say? Took that many Vinyl. years. That's crazy, man. Wow. The, sh- the, the single of the month was um, Shove It, right? Shove. Shove, Just okay. called Shove. shove. Yeah, shove. get out of my way. I'm at Shove. Very catchy, sung by yeah. Susie Gardner of L7, who, by the way, <laughs> footnote, was also the female voice of Slip It In with Black Flag. Singing with Henry Rollins. I did not Rollins. know that. Oh, yes. Holy shit, I didn't know yeah. that. She played the confused girl going, you know, <laughs> whatever that, whatever that wow, song was about. Knew. That's a gem right there. Wow. Uh, yeah. I, I didn't know that. 
Susie is, is like me, Susie is also a little bit shy of like, well, what I did was that, you know, like not really. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I love the documentary. To go back to the documentary, I mean, I love it. And just, I just love how like L7 just didn't give a fuck. He just wanted to play music and be known as musicians and just play music. It didn't matter if you girls or not. It didn't, none of that shit mattered. It wasn't about like how you looked at image. Just fucking playing music and love what you play. And you, you would go off so hard just like any person on stage. Like your stage presence was like you're in a hardcore band. It was it's awesome. I loved your energy. I, I, I mean, I learned so much about you just in that doc. Just like your spirit and um, your love for the music, you know? Yeah. You, you could see Thank it you. and feel it, you know? Thank you. It's all, it's awesome. And yeah, you're not even like, uh, were you like, um, you learned how to play this stuff yourself. You didn't go take lessons or nothing, right? No, no, no. All of everything that I, yeah, everything that I do in music is, you know, I love, I love music and music is magic to me and I can yeah. feel the moment of learning how to become proficient at it kind of started to ruin it for me. And that's a lot of, you know, my story with most visual arts okay. is this idea of skill or proficiency kind of um, separates me from the, the, the spirit. I'm going to use the word spirit okay. for lack of a better word. That's a good word. So I really, you know, and, you know, I always, I always said, I'm not a bassist. I'm a performer. Like I, I, love that. I, I go in and it's not just performance. It's really about like knitting together this sonic, the visual, the performance and the community. And all of it is important. It's not about me as a performer or a musician going out. It is, you know, 99% the people that receive it. Okay. Right. I, lo I love that actually. And, um, you know, holding together a community. And yeah. what that means. Mm -hmm. So, you know, for me going out and just being able to take this thing, this big thing that has four strings on it, that's the thing that came before me and the thing that, you know, is now digitized, yeah. you know, <clears throat> is more of a, a baton or uh, an instrument, uh, an axe or something else that you, I, I, uh, a I tool that. that you could look at. But because we emphasized going out in the live performance I just got better at it and I didn't just get better at it I became an expert at it mm. so it's uh you know something I do have as a skill set people do say can you play bass on this and I'm always like oh god bass that old whore who <laughs> wants to hear that you know I'm yeah. like let's do something different I'm you know I'm mm -hmm. part of the problem I am part of the problem when it comes to <laughs> you know music and musicality I'm just like you know, it was never, it was always a means to an end. It wasn't a means of, of, uh, of really knowing it. And I've been surrounded by amazing musicians my whole yeah. life. Not just good musicians, but thinkers, innovators, yeah. people that saw opportunity, people that didn't care if they didn't see opportunity and did it anyway. I mean, you know, yeah. and, um, you know, one of my really early stories that I like to tell, coming back to the Chili Peppers, is, and I think I that it's, it's crafted both my failures and successes. I can narrow into one moment. Okay. <laughs> I broke down and started dating other musicians. Okay. Because you go on tour and that was the, the access, yeah. right? So one of... Um, the thing is, 
I would be able to pick people in the genres that were actually really exceptional and doing something really interesting because they interested me. And the only way like a woman would really be allowed to cohort is actually through relationship. Right. Which is kind of sad because I love to cohort. I love friends. I Mm -hmm. have male friends, seriously, 30 over 30 year relationships with men that I I never dated. Like like we were creative partners or we had something because the one thing I know with men is they need a project in order to hang out. They're not just going (laughs) to sit around and talk. So, you you know, invent something or figure something out. And that's that's my secret to my (laughs) friendships with men. But um, I started dating. Um, musicians and one of the first musicians that I dated was Cliff Martinez and the Red Hot Chili Peppers so this is really early on innovator I mean innovator um, I'll you know thought about percussion in ways that no one did yeah um, and was not expecting the success that the Chili Peppers started to have when they got signed so there was an event where we were at a Chili Pepper show at what was the palace and is now I'm not sure what it's called on Vine and we were all sitting backstage and the manager was sitting with them and said look we need photographs and this is what we're going to do they had they had just played their first large successful show and you know what we mean when we you and i know what we mean when we say large over 300 right but under under 400 okay yeah Yeah, 500 500 is huge yeah um you know and they did they did the thing you know and this is all the stuff that i kind of learned early on keep the show low get the bodies in there make it look like something's going on so they wanted to do this thing where they had the band go out the front door through the crowd holding the girlfriends and i was like what I don't understand. So that, and they had photographers in the audience and the chili, they were like, okay, let's go. And then all the girlfriends are kind of getting dragged behind and Cliff was at the end. And I'm like, what are we doing? Why are we going through the audience? He's like, I don't know. He didn't really understand. The band didn't understand. They're like, I don't know. I don't know. Let's just go. I just, and I fucking (laughs) pulled my hand off and like got swallowed in the crown and said, I'm getting my own band. Wow. Right? And then that's a fucking moment. Kind of curated all of my successes and failures, like through time. Which is like the inability to be seen as a girlfriend or Mm. to be in that kind of partnership. And holy shit, I love it. Why were they doing that? That's so weird. I don't know why. It's not weird. Look back at marketing. That's, Mm. you know, I'm sure the photos from that are amazing. It, It make, you know, it's, we know them how we know them now, right? They're a stadium rock band. Yeah. But they weren't then. Mm -hmm. And it's how do you make these kind of misfit, not classically good looking, definitely not conforming to pop music or rock music, not conforming at all, doing their own thing. What do you do with that? How do you you make money from that, right? It's very interesting. From LA, we think about that stuff. Yeah. Some some of you said too, is like, people say, what do you do? Like, I sing in a hardcore band. It's like. I don't know how to play any instruments. So I don't know if that's, that means I'm not a musician and, uh, and I'm not a trained singer. It just happened. It was just, I was a roadie and it became this band and became a band, but I wasn't a trained singer. But then, like I, like you said, as you started playing more and more, you started getting tired. I don't know, you, you learned, you, you make, I don't know, your craft becomes something, I don't know, I don't know how to, what I'm saying. I'm just saying that I became a singer, I guess. I can keep a melody and have, I know how to sing well, but I didn't start that way and I didn't, it was just my friends wanting to write songs together. It wasn't like, I'm going to be a singer. You know what I mean? And like, I just did it. Right. So I do feel like I'm more of a front man performer, I guess. And I am like an actual. And you are an excellent. Trained, thank you. Then I'm more a trained, trained singer or like a musician. I don't know if I'm really a musician. I, I don't know. It's weird. 
Mm-hmm. I can't play anything. I don't know. I guess that's just the title I'm supposed to have, I guess. I don't know. How was your transition from going from somebody who was part of a, a support system to a front person? It's, what do you mean? Like from what I, what I mean, like uh, from a roadie to that, you mean? <laughs> I didn't want to say roadie. <laughs> so I think you're, you were always more than a roadie. You know, you were, uh, you know, there was definitely a part of the 80s where we were all part of community and took our community with us. And uh, I had met you. Do you yeah. remember meeting? And, Long time um, ago, yeah. I have always had this kind of thing about, um, you know, people should always follow their intentions to be a totally. performer right yeah. but i know that there's this weird thing that like people tell me oh i want to be an actor so i'm going to go be a lighting technician on film and i'm always like don't do that because if you're good at your job as a lighting technician people are going to secretly sabotage you when you try to act mm. you know do yeah. you know what i mean yeah. growing up in los angeles i've kind of felt that way so i've always myself have like made my money outside of the music community you know, specifically outside of the community. Since working at Triple X, I kind of realized that. You know, I became mm. a you know content developer and um, you know full stack developer, which is like website developer and yeah. software developer in the '90s. And I still work. You know, I'm all, I'm one of those people that always keeps a client or a job in my I, back I lo- pocket. I, that's I not that. music. Yeah, I love that because I I love other things that I do. There are other things in life that aren't celebrated that I love, and and I think like actually other passions yeah the software community actually came out of kind of the hardcore ethos of diy and open source and all this stuff so i was kind of involved in all of that stuff through the 90s and 2000s yeah and um it's amazing that you went to like your story is crazy it's just because like all the party and all the stuff we do like you you still maintain getting good grades you still read a lot you still you know went to college you try to do that and just like always pushing yourself and learning new things and I take your photos, just everything. I love that. You always stayed focused regardless if you were Not that is the, I can, but this is a person looking back. It was messy. It was trying and I could have died. You know what I mean? Uh, So, or something else, you know, I mean, as the destiny could have been, I probably should have, you know, married some hardcore guy and went and raised babies in Indiana, ultimately, Mm. you know, mixing meth in a bathtub with, children are at my feet you know i don't know yeah uh, it didn't happen that way <laughs> did you ever come close to that like dying or overdosing or all the time i've three hospitalized overdoses i think wow man yeah uh, overdoses uh you know it's one of my topics i guess is um you know recovery yeah or harm reduction i don't want to judge you know i know that you know uh early <laughs> okay so but okay before i start talking about myself uh, can we just get back to you and okay, the transition let's go there real quick i want to know but what's early well i mean yeah i was a roadie i, I was always in the playing the role in the back i would always you know if louis sick of it all jumped in the crowd i'd pull him out i was always dancing on the side of the stage i end up in some videos some of the hardcore videos back then and you know my roadie skills weren't the best but i was the guy was always fun had energy and they liked to have me on tour even though I left drums behind in every state. And, and you know, once <laughs> I saw one of your band members go into the audience and you visibly rolled your eyes before you went, you were just like, ah! Oh! Really? Yes. <laughs> Timmy Junction. I think it was Timmy, right? Was that the tour? I don't know. What do you mean when the crowd? Like, what do they do in the crowd? They go and crowd, they die or something? in the crowd and you were like, ugh! And you went to go get them out. Oh my God. So I, funny. That's, I know, it was so great. Was that my band or working for somebody else's band, you think? 
It wasn't your band. This was the night. This is the night. Oh, yeah, it's probably have to pull somebody out, like tangled up. And like, who knows, but man? But see, I can't remember which Warp tour it was. You do Warp tour in '95. You like when the we first did the Warp tour. Yeah, I mean that's part of the L7 story. A lot of firsts. We did a lot of firsts. It's great though. It's awesome. Yeah. That was with Siv, I think. Siv was on that tour. Uh huh. And I actually am tattooed by Siv from that tour. Oh wow. Yeah, you're just getting started back then. Oh, I got a bunch of them back then too. You got to, what'd you get tattooed in New York on that tour or something? On, on tour. the tour bus. Wow. On the tour bus. It still looks good. The tattoo came out good. It's amazing. It's shout my, to you, Siv. Oh, I love those guys Dude, that's so amazing. much. That was such a great tour, man. Wow. It was a great tour. Um, Sublime. Yeah. Sublime. Who else was on that? Orange um, Nine Millimeter. Yeah. What up, Chaka? That's mm-hmm. sick. Orange Nine was on there. Wow. I have the funniest photographs of him because you know he's a very. Um, charismatic he's very charismatic but he is the kind of person that i love to photograph in that his downtime it looks very reflective Mm. and i just have the best like series of like moody photos of him where he's just on the side you know and i feel they're very candid so i haven't i don't show them a lot because they are can these candid moments and he's he probably loved to see one though. That'd be awesome. Okay, I, I, I haven't connected you with him. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Anyway, the transition was a roadie to front man. It was a joke. Sick of it. I wrote this song for me, music wise, and then I wrote lyrics to it about my ex girlfriend who cheated on me and ruined my life, and I didn't want to date. I'm girl- starting my own band. Yeah, I didn't want to date girls anymore. I didn't, I didn't trust this girl. She ruined my. She ripped my heart out. My first love. I wrote this song. Blah blah blah. And then it just became something that I made stickers and I named the band. I had stickers before I even had a song. I promoted it and then jumped on stage at Rancid, a bunch of things, got signed to Blackout Records. And the next thing. What year? Got signed in 1995. First record came out in 96. And then after that, Rancid played our demo for Brett. And then they got assigned to Epitaph, which was what like year? a life changer. 97. 98, 99, we're on Epitaph. Yeah, it was, that was one of the best times to be on Epitaph, man. It was incredible, man. Back then, the 90s. We man. paved the way for you. Thank you for that. Uh, yes, you're welcome. Th- yes, thank you. I appreciate we that. We got the kinks out. Jay Bentley standing in the warehouse. I don't know what to do about it. Wow, man. And then, oh, I remember Offspring blew up and that changed everything for Epitaph. Wow, yeah. too. Do you want me to tell you? You're punk. Uh, the, yeah, right? The uh, Offspring. And Green Day opened for L7 at Gilman Street. Wow. I need to see that flyer. That's sick. All right. And uh, wow. oh, the tables turn. Um, That's insane lineup. But it was really interesting. I, I feel I have like a little, my toe into their story slightly, uh, not to inject myself in everyone's history. It's all good. But they did ask like, what is going on with Epitaph? What do you think? And I told them honestly, I thought that it was still in its still maturing is that the right word still maturing and i said do not sell your publishing Mm. and that you know that's kind of like part of their story is that they ended up selling their publishing and it became really a a lot of conflict Mm. and uh that's interesting because it was west beach i know i know exactly what you're talking about when i signed epitaph we had an option for brett gerwitz to take our publishing to west beach whatever it was called you can that's right so don't do that did you call me did no, you call me for me I, to tell you I, not to do that? I didn't. We did do the publishing. It's okay. Oh, I know. I know. See? It was just for oh, those two records. But you know what ha- it is? Damn. No one, no one, no one ever took me seriously back then. <laughs> I'm pretty sure. I mean, but I know I was like sloppy and like probably appeared whatever way, but like this wild thing. But I did kind of have. I understood what publishing was back then. Yeah. So when you signed Epitaph, you, you do this thing where you can actually do a publishing deal with through Brett and West Beach, and we did that with. 
FTTW and Thick in the Water. We did do our publishing deal. Um, yeah, we did do that. But we didn't do it for the first record. We still have that, which is great. And then we did a major label, which we ain't got shit from that. And then um, the record after that, yeah, we had the publishing for did that. Did you not get shit or did you get an advance? Did we get an advance on... Did you look at your... We get an advance on Epitaph? Your, uh, from the major label. Oh yeah, we got an advance. Yeah. Yeah. So you did get shit. I know. We still get these. <laughs> so we still get these statements where like we still the, owe the money from two thousand one. Like the money they gave you for videos and photo shoots. It wasn't crazy. Absurd, man. It was. So it was so crazy. So I am currently in the publishing space right now. I work for uh, and help. I'm helping develop the Weekly World News, which is an old school fake news publication. Fake news publication. Okay. Yeah, and you know that behavior happens in the publishing world where larger publishers come and swallow up independent publishers and then say we're gonna advance you we're gonna invest in your business we're gonna invest ten thousand mm. we're gonna invest a hundred thousand and then what happens is you get this statement you know they say like we're gonna fix up the website we're gonna do all this and you get the statement and yeah. the statement says oh we just charged you like three hundred thousand dollars for a seriously three thousand dollar website it's like it's mm-hmm. so true looking at that but you're just like oh the money and I'm not. I'm the wet. They call me at work the wet blanket. Okay. <laughs> I am the wet blanket. I am the dream killer, which has basically been my middle name since I was born. I'm just like, that's not going to work. That's not how it works. They're taking advantage of you. Step back. Take a breath. <laughs> but I love that you, you speak. You speak, <laughs> speak how you feel. You know what I mean? Like that's. And you, if you, I'm sure people working there don't have as much experience as you have through being in the industry most of your life. You know what I mean? So what you're doing now, I'm saying like. You've been through all the ups and downs, the highs and lows of being in a band, different labels, independent, all that. So when you, were lived s- it. when you were on stage working for bands, were you sitting there going, that could easily be me? It wasn't that. It was like, I have something to say. I always wrote in a journal on tour. Nice. And I was like, I want to I I say something. I didn't say I could do that or do that better. Like I have a lot of energy. I feel like I, don't know, I have something to say. So I started writing my first songs like in 91, 92 on tour, Sick of It All in Europe. Just writing like notes and stuff, and yeah, just I want to, I loved hardcore and punk so much, and I was so involved since at a very young age, either in the crowd or on the stage, and I was like, yeah, I don't want to be behind the scenes anymore. I'm gonna do it, and I did it. And if fucking twenty five years later, I'm still in the same band, which is very lucky, you know. Yeah, right. It's pretty crazy. Yeah. Um, you so you so back to L seven for oh you no you're gonna start talking about something about you before you talk about me, but what were we gonna say before that you're saying something about yourself and. Um, wasn't about sobriety. It was. Do you know what you're saying? Because if not, I'm gonna go right to here. Go right when, to there. When you, when you drop uh, 1992, bricks are heavy. Mm. Shit list. Mm-hmm. Great fucking song, man. Such a great song. So, so this is when things became, honestly, more real. But um, established. I don't. Want, I don't know what word to say for this when this record came out because it changed a lot, didn't it? Pretend we're dead. Well, on there. again, L7 first through the door. We were recording Bricks Are Heavy when Nirvana's Nevermind was released. That's right. And that the was, I want to say, one of the last dying breaths of the music industry. I mean, it took a while for it to completely call time on vet, a time of death, but <laughs> what they were doing was really trying to buy out anything that was alternative to control the narrative, right? Mm-hmm. Of what is going to be considered alternative. So alternative, so first we're DIY, now we're alternative, all these different things. So, you know, not to get too detailed into what happened 
but there was a thing called upstreaming that happened with Slash. We signed to Slash. We wanted to be part of the Slash family. We wanted to work with Slash, but because Nirvana had gotten popular, we were transferred over to Warner Brothers really quickly, midstream of a song being released. And that was either a decision on the part of Warner Brothers to not have to put more money into us or really attempt thinking that they were doing the right thing. I don't know what they were thinking. Yeah. Honestly, you know, I didn't, I haven't gone back. I have also, even later than that, had been in a band that I, in uh, 1999, was signed to A&M Records called Other Star People. And yep. we did, and I did. I guess I'm going to say I did. It is my story. Experience the final last gasp of the record industry when all, all of those labels toppled, including A&M, and we got moved over to Interscope. Yeah who had been basically sitting on the chest of No Doubt for years. Yes, Um, When we went over, we came over with our label had a mandate to promote us. Interscope basically said, we already have No Doubt because, you know, you can't have more than one vagina on a record label. Jesus. So we, you know, others, I experienced a lot, you know, even more disappointment of the false start. I mean, or or I don't know what to say, just like the inability to be able to reach more audience to play music for more people, which has always just been the goal. 100%. Yeah. And uh, yeah. So that really bridged like for my attempt at being <laughs> a recording artist and professional musician. So when that when that comes out, um, that record comes out, how's the response for that? Four Bricks Are Heavy? Yeah. Very good. Because you guys have been touring and building up and shows are getting Yeah, bigger. but I think that we, I mean, we were playing to an audience that already knew us. Yeah. We'd already built that audience. That yeah, was already, that was our audience. We weren't yeah. reaching any new ears by it, you yeah. know? And within our own, you know, I feel within our own scene, which I guess at the time you'd call, I hate the word grunge, but you know, like a alternative DIY Northwest, you know, it became fractured, you yeah. know, like by 1993, there was a lot of the, the I'm going to call it the genification of hardcore as it moved forward through the nineties. Yeah. And, um, you know, Riot Girl coming up was yes. actually like kind of problematic because we were being held up is something they were working against, which is fine. That's what every generation should do. And um, although they're really the same, they're my age. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, they just didn't, they weren't, they were in college and I was working day jobs to support a touring career. <laughs> 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 oh my God. Oh my God. And by the way, I love them, by the way. Sure, for sure. Of course. And um But you were already doing your thing. L7 was doing you were your own thing, you were doing your thing already. Oh yeah. I mean since I joined the band in eighty six. We were playing shows in LA in eighty seven and then touring touring the country and outside of you know, outside of Los Angeles Mm -hmm. in eighty eight and then, you know, with eyes on international touring and national touring in eighty nine. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So but the shit list kinda hit, does it come out as something that it had the word shit in it. It wasn't coming out to anybody. Mm. This was the bat we had on the front so catchy, of Bricks Are Heavy, the front of the label, like an adult warning. Damn. Not adult warning. What did you call those? What you Parent advisory. Parent advisory, yeah. you know, which we incorporated into the artwork of the record. Mm. I love uh, that. Yeah. So, and that was like a, the thing that like the culture wars, the, the extension of the culture wars and stuff like that, like people just don't 
look back and don't understand because it seems so bizarre when you look back. Mm-hmm. No one can understand what censorship was or, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, you know, the, the but not the, par- the other issues, you know? Mm-hmm. Wow. So, so do you guys go on a, a big tour for that? Bricks are heavy. Despite oh, tons of the them. label shit. Lots and all that of stuff. them. Tons. Yeah, we went grinding. out, we, we toured with the Beastie Boys. Wow. We toured with House of Pain. Wow. We did, you know, work with Nirvana. We worked with Pearl Jam. You know, anyone of that era and elk, we were in that mix. The mix. I'm going to start with House of Pain. Was that in New York too? Did that hit New York? That of tour? Pain? Yeah. Had yeah. to. Yeah, of course. Yeah, because I was friends with them. I definitely saw you guys in there. Mm-hmm. Um, and pretend we're dead's on that record, correct? Yes. So the how yes. that one go? That 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 sounds that sounds that's like a anthematic, fucking catchy ass, awesome song. Yeah, it didn't. I mean, it did okay on radio. We yeah. got a couple of those like um, early MTV kind of little pats on the back, which were the novelty late night shows yeah. or you know headbangers ball kind of stuff. Yeah. Alternative uh, the M- show. M- yeah, the alternative shows. Hinfield. But, you know, it never, it never, uh, you know, grew enough support mm-hmm. to be able to, like, march into the mainstream or the primetime. I guess you could call it primetime. Yeah. Wow, man. I mean, so what were you guys' feelings during that time as far as, like, with the label and just, just everything? And I, I don't know. I, I was just... seethingly and silently resentful. I think everyone else had a good time. <laughs> <laughs> I was cranky and morbid. But did, you, did, you have goals? did you have goals at that time for the band and where you wanted the band to be? Well, it was interesting because that was the time when we really were looking at like, okay, we're not the ones that, you know, develop our product. You know, we were developing our own product. We were marketing ourselves. We yeah. were doing all of the, all of the things, you know. Yeah. And, you know, when you go on to the major label, you relinquish control. And also we got a management company that I kind of didn't, I, I, I love them as people, but yeah. felt literally flawed and, and how everything was going down. And then it just proceeded from there. <laughs> yeah. Did you guys always have managers throughout your career? Or is this no. something new? Mm. That was, you know, that was, you don't really need managers until something, there's something to manage. It's true. And managers really operate in between, you know, provide buffer between a band and a business. Like that's what managers are. Yeah. So yeah, we did get management. We don't even have management now. Yeah, I was right? there for we, a long time. We, you know, have great people that help support us in touring. Pete Stahl is one of them. Oh, Pete Stahl from Scream? Pete Stahl. I would say, wow. you know, he manages all of our aspects of touring to this that's day. That's incredible. Which started, you know, when, I mean, it started when wow. I worked at Triple X and Dave I, Rose in Scream too, that's right. That's right, brought brought the Dave Grohl scream to Los Angeles to play at the country club Holy with bad shit. religion. Wow. Incredible band. Underrated, right. So that's when I met band. Pete the first time, Pete and Franz the first time. Holy shit, it's right, Franz. And then we, you know, our, you know, our careers have kind of paralleled. They mm. did wool. They moved to Los Angeles. We pract- we shared practice space with them. Interesting. All the things. That. And then still work with them. Skeeter. Skeeter was with the them with Pete. <laughs> Skeeter was in there. Skeeter was in the band. Yes. Yeah, Skeeter. Yeah. What an incredible band, um, Scream. Uh, this side up, still screaming. Oh my God, incredible fucking albums, dude. Yeah, yeah. Live band too, great. Yeah, so, you know, one of those things about being on a major label for everyone involved was that we could take our good guy friends, Scream, yeah. Yeah. on tour, which also featured Chris Bratton of Chain of Strength. 
Oh shoot! I didn't, uh-huh. know, that. I didn't know that. Yeah, I know he was in Scream. Wow. Yes, and then uh, that's when I met <laughs> I met Chris Bratton because I had never seen Chain of Strength of all the times I've never seen Chain of Strength and yeah. we're practically neighbors. Chris Bratton and I started a project called Other Star People. Okay, right, and then Other Star People we added other members, and then that was the the band that got signed to A and M. Okay. Wow, everything's full circle. It's crazy. Yeah, man. everything. Yeah, you, you, as time <laughs> goes on, you really the um the playing fields get smaller and the players yeah. get more potent. <laughs> <laughs> you seem like somebody that was kind of, were you like, not the business person of the band, but you kind of, you had the, the passion and the push and to keep going and, and, and get the band to a different audience. Was that, was that mostly you? Not say mostly you, but. Oh, no, no. Everyone in, everyone in L7, part. every, the, the, you know, that's the thing that's like frustrating about l7 is that we are four women with very unique awesome experiences talents and voices yeah and like that kind of thing it just doesn't work in a world where even to this day the focus is narrowed and narrowed and narrowed to the point now where you know there's corps and bands that are just you know, TikTok and creating music and they're the central focus. They're not a band. They're one or two people that, you yeah. know, create music. And I love it. I love it. I am not one of those, the problem with kids today and music yeah. that, and I always saw the, all the potential in the carry on of the DIY. Yeah. Whether it was hyphy, whether it was hyphy, check whatever, you out. Oh, shit. whatever, hyphy, whoever yeah. it was, mm-hmm. white girl mob, do you know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I saw what it means to 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 create music yeah. and take it to people. Mm-hmm. And like what that means, you know? Yeah. And just because it sounds sounded different at the time, yeah. uh looked different, like the complexion or the the culture, that was still what was happening, you know, and that's what I know. Yeah. So I still am strongly supportive of people that come out and get, you know, attention. Yeah. Because they look good and sound good and are serving some kind of purpose. Yeah. It's funny you say TikTok. My son is on there right in there too. And he's just doing these videos the other day and all this stuff. And it just makes kids become more creative. I think I do like that. There's such yeah, insane but you stuff know, on it's there, so man. The thing that I hate oh, is like, cause I work in that industry and all mm. of a sudden it's like something, you know, like, Oh, the kids are on TikTok, and there's just these creepy adults that just want to find a way to insert themselves into like the narrative mm. of the next big thing. And it's just like, Oh, I, you know, I'm hoping that the kids, I hope and pray that those kids are going somewhere to talk to each other that we don't know about Yeah. because how can they, I mean, we got to have those conversations together and grow together yeah. without, marketing influence other than in like what we created yeah that's a great point you know and it's just like ugh, kids today yeah it's people coming trying to take that and ruin it or exploit it or just anything to it make it yeah take it yeah 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 i mean a lot of parents are like you are so remarkable i can you talk to my daughter and i'm just like no (laughs) have no you don't your daughter you do not want the experience that for your daughter that I had one and two, she should be having a specific experience yeah. for her emotional development with her peers. Yeah. I agree. Or a little bit older or a little bit younger. I'm not yeah. like, but not a 54 year old, you know, you don't, washed you, you, up. You don't you look know? 54 by the way. You look, you look awesome. 
You're aging very well. Thank you. You do not look 54. My secret is don't do anything. I'm going to tell you that right now. Don't, don't do anything. Don't touch don't. it. Don't touch it. Don't put. Don't look at it. Don't put it in the sun. <laughs> don't over-exercise. Don't go to yoga every day. That's just going to make you look older. Just live. Just live. Um, just live in love. Live in love. Was it a moment? What was it? What was the moment? If it's a moment or when you became sober, what was the last thing that happened? You were like, I can't fucking do this anymore. Wow. Well, I think that it's, you know, definitely it's something that comes through time. But when L7, I would never use and perform. So if anybody has seen me perform through the 80s, you did not see me high, except for those two times. <laughs> two times. <laughs> those okay. two times. One of them was L7 was on tour with a, uh, a Seattle band called Sub, uh, Cat Butt. We were on Sub Cat Pop. Butt? Cat Butt. Okay. And we played, <laughs> this is a good one. Was it CBGBs or was it Pyramid? You know, as a person not from New York, I get, I sometimes will Both confuse. great venues. Both great venues. Both very hard to park the van. Both totally. where I learned how to parallel park a trailer. Yeah. I hated your city. <laughs> Hated your city. One's on Avenue A and one's on Bowery. Everybody same, same everybody in L7 would be like, we're playing New York. We're playing New York. And like, oh, let's be together and like drive into New York and we're going to see New York skyline. This is going to be so great. And I, it's because I'm the wet blanket. I'd be like, where are we going to park the van? Where are we going to set up the t-shirts? I, I don't see a wall that's clean. <laughs> And, and, and considering I'm the one that has read stories about Max's Kansas City mm. and like you know, and CBGBs and completely, what's it called when you you take something in your brain and you just make it way bigger than it should be? Like you heroify it or like you, mm. you know what I mean? Uh, like yeah, I, yeah I mean that was New York, and I got I got to do drugs in New York too. So wow, but we're just gonna say that that Becky Wreck <laughs> from the Lunatics showed up and said, "Hey, I, I have some stuff because she she who is also clean, yeah, now." Like, Shout out to Lunatics. I have this stuff I'm like, I never use and I perform. And she said, it's not that strong. Mm. It's not that strong. Just try it. <laughs> and there's this really funny thing about heroin that it can just have different effects on different people. Yeah. And on me, it just made, it plowed me out. Like I was just like, oh, you know, and you'd think, come on, I'm a rock star. Someone should give me some leeway on this. Oh my God, the other women in L7 were like, you're not in the band anymore. You can go join a band with Becky Wreck. And I was like, Are you serious? Eh. Are you serious? I know, I'm being really bad. Yeah, it was Holy just like sh- one of those fights, you know. How was your performance that night? It was a stellar. Wow. That, no, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> were you the only person in the band that partied that hard? Uh, not, not to blow up anybody else's spot. Yeah, I can't blow them. I can't y- blow yes, them up. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I think that there's different levels of party, yeah. different levels of risk, different substances. Some are totally. more acceptable than others. Some are harder than the others. Yeah. Some are harder than others. Mm. You know, some craft different results. Yeah. Than others, you know, and it's really like you're dealing with the, the wake of the result. Mm. But yeah, I was clean. I was clean in ninety. W- what was the second time you performed? Okay, so the second time was <laughs> here in Los Angeles. Sub Pop had come down in 89, so prior to the record, and we were playing with it, this really great venue in Los Angeles. It was an old theater that's no longer around anymore. And I was at a friend's house, and all of a sudden I couldn't get off the bathroom floor. I didn't know what was going on. I was paralytic, like could not move. And wow. I knew that he had drugs, so I said, I, 
I, something's going on with my body. I don't know if it's the result of using, I don't know if it's psychological. I don't know what is going on. But then that was when I was like, okay, this is not going to work. This is not going to work. But of course, most drug users, there's no defining moment. And then you just wake up, I'm done. You know, it took, it took some time. It was hard, right? Right. But that realization happened at those points. Can I have some water? Yeah, yeah, of course. This is too strong. Is it? Okay, I'm gonna give you some liquid death. Let me get some liquid death. Hang on. Wait, but is it water? You keep talking. Just keep talking. Say whatever you want. So then, when I was twelve. <laughs> it's really strong, right? Yay! Are you getting, are you getting hyped up? Are you getting hyped up? <clears throat> I'm getting something which feels a little bit dizzy. Woo! Thank liquid you. Death. I like that it pops. Dude, I love I love the sound of it. I love the taste of it. I don't know why it's something in a can. Like I never really. People think it's a beer, but it's not. Whatever. It does look like a beer. That's what's cool about it, I think, though. Really? I mean, for me, because I never drank a beer before, it just looks like, I don't know. I don't know. So who's your oldest guy friend? That's a great question. Not oldest, but long-term you mean, guy friend. Mm, my oldest guy friend. Wow, it's a really great question. Did I still have Rusty Pistachio, my guitar player? Nice. I met Rusty. Rusty. When, I met Rusty when I was like 13 years old in uh, in Maryland, and he was a maintenance man. And my mom, my mom was a, his manager, his boss. That's nice. When I met Rusty. And because you had a project all these years, you're gonna be friends. Yeah, he's, beca- he's almost <laughs> became my dad because my dad died when I was three, and then when I met Rusty, yeah. he was like a father figure to me in Maryland, and he was a little bit older, and he kind of took us under his wing. Um, yeah, Rusty's like a father figure to me. Yeah, shout out to Rusty. Oh. I love you, Rusty. Yeah, and he became in the band, and I was like my big brother. He yeah, moved, yeah. He, he lives sure. in South Carolina now. He moved away. He just moved during this lockdown. Love you, Rusty. Hope you get out there in South Carolina. He just made a move because him and his wife got some property out there, and they kept going back and forth. And he's like, we're just going to go stay there for a little while, and now he left. So right. it was pretty sad. He yeah. drove away in a moving truck and came by the moving truck and waved to me and said goodbye to me. It was like emotional. It was like saying goodbye to my dad. It was pretty, pretty sucked. Wow. Sucked. Yeah. <laughs> How about a woman friend? Um, well, besides my wife, which I'm married to 25 years. Because uh, you um, have a project together. Yeah, exactly. Uh, a woman that I've known for a long time. Holy crap, man. How about BJ Pappas? Do you ever talk yeah, about Yeah, BJ Pappas, yeah. And my yeah. friend Shauna Kinney, who lives out Yay. here. You know Shauna? Yeah. yeah. Shauna, we met in, in high school in Maryland, and then we used to go to shows in D.C. together. Yeah, Shauna Kinney. That's, that's I didn't know you friend. lived in D.C. I lived in Maryland, where she Maryland. lived. That's where I met. Oh, Rusty, and, Rusty and her lived there, yeah. That's how we met. So we started going to shows in D.C. in the early 80s. Got to see like... The field gets smaller and the players get more potent. I got to go see... um, uh, I got to see Embrace a couple of times. Rights of Spring. Got to see Fugazi's second show. Um, Wow. Cool, cool show. Which phase was Rights of Spring? Uh, Right in the beginning when they first came out, man. That's original emo. Um, But one of my first real shows was Circle Jerks, Corrosion Conformity, Madhouse um in dc it was C-O-C. scary coc yeah love it in dc um yeah so i say shauna kenny one of my oldest friends from back to still lives in los angeles that's like over 30 years that's a great question you should have your own podcast um <laughs> all right so then you got then you got hunger for stink hungry for stink hungry uh, hungry for stink yeah 1994 was that a great time it was an interesting time it was an interesting time it was I, like towards the end of Yeah, I mean, it was really, it's like we had experienced, again, this kind of like what I'm going to say, genrefication of punk rock. So it it kind of, I think, moved L7 a little farther away. We still produced an amazing record. That is an amazing record. Can I say one thing about L7? That you guys weren't grunge and you... 
just because grunge came out and had that name, you're already doing, you're already L7. You already had your own sound. Right. It's, it's, maybe you got categorized into that, but L7 was L7. It was a mix between hardcore, punk, metal, just everything, I think, personally. It didn't have to have that. Right, but, right, right. But unfortunately, you got pushed into that. Right. Of. And to this day, I mean, the embracing of particularly the European metal community who've always embraced like harder American music, no matter how we thought of ourselves yeah. have still been supportive. Like L7 still plays Hellfest and like great festival. The, the, wow. Yeah, I know. Right. We still play those festivals and, yeah. and that is our audience. Yeah. Uh, you know, so was it kind of hard because L7 really didn't have the, like a title for what type of music you got. You loved all types of music and, I don't know. It's weird. You guys had your own thing, I think. I don't yeah, know. No, I think, you know. So it's like, kind of hard to place you, maybe sign you to a label. You know what? Out. Being an innovator doesn't all, is, you know, yeah. <laughs> you, just, you just do it. Yeah. We just, you getting, just do it. We, at, at that point, because I know that was, I think that was your last, wasn't your last record with them, was it? Your last record with them, that album, right? You know, I went on you and I, was, I went through um, the beauty process. Okay, that's right. I actually played on it. Yeah. But I had to leave. Like, I had to leave. I was just <laughs> so done. Not with L7. I loved L7, but I was with life. Like I, life. yeah, I, I really needed something to happen. And, you know, I went to them and just like, the thing is when you enter the realm of like professionalized music cycle, yeah. you know, you make a record, you make some money, you have to tour, you have to do a video, you have to go do this. Everything yeah. is, everyone is counting on you. Everyone is making money from you. So I kind of went in and just said, I might be able to support this, but I probably can't. Mm -hmm. And I waited, I definitely waited to inform until they had gotten like the, the money that they needed to produce that record, to make that record. Do you yeah. know what I mean? Because it's like I was a primary member of that band. So stepping yeah. out legally was going to be really hard. But we mm. figured out a way to do it and it happened and I got what I needed. Yeah. And um, they went on and they produced great records after me as yeah. well. Um, a live record. Um, um, yeah. Did it feel like a job and work at that point for you? Like, got to go later. We're going to make the record. Got to do the tour. Got to do the press. Got to do the video. Gotta... Did it feel like you became, I don't, I don't know. No, it kind of felt like I was taken by my feet and slammed against concrete. Damn. That's what it felt like. I okay. mean, it just felt like an endurance gig at that point. Okay. <laughs> you know? Yeah. The, and also, we shared everything. Okay. And I also knew if I stepped out and could do something else, the financial survival of L7 could actually maybe happen. But we were really looking at running in the red. L7 is all, that's the thing. Like people to this day say, how much do you make on L7? What do you make on L7? What do you, what do you get? And I'm like, the most I have personally ever received at the height of our career was around 55,000, which is, yeah. Uh, fine but the, the you know the other years were 15 10 8 yeah. you know what i mean i'm also oh by the way i'm really good at accounting okay i'm I, really I good i'm not surprised I, it, and it's not about money it's about value yeah so i really understand what putting out energy means versus bringing it back in yeah so uh and which kind of it's a great trait actually mm -hmm. um i never really thought of it that way uh, thank you for the therapy you're, session you know you're very smart and you're also i feel like you like you wanted to know everything you were involved in, so you probably knew everything about the music industry that what 
the advances, the recording budget. All I feel like you just wanted to know, not because you cared about money or you wanted to be in the industry, it's because you want to know what you were dealing with. This was your life. This is right, your, right. what you're doing. Famously, in the Pretend We're Dead documentary, great documentary which we're going to bring up it's right now because doc. it is really amazing and I it's available it. to all listeners. Please be sure to watch it. It's really great, man. It's um, really great. There's a part where, you know, London Records, who was our, our, our you know, Warner Brothers counterpart in England, sent limos for us to to the airport. Who's paying for these? Yeah, it was great. And I was just like, who's paying for this? That's and the so woman great. at the record company turns and says, you are darling. And I was just like, that's a great moment. I'm at, you know, because that's like one of those moments. I mean, it's, it's so silly true, and it, it, whatever, but that was one of those moments that you can really define as like, I knew who was paying for it. It was rhetorical. And one lady was take you out for dinner and then you fucking get the reason. And you get the bill, you it's know, and so it's so true, you know, and it just, Shady. yeah, it, yeah. Schmoozing this, all this, all that stuff. That's I hated all the business part of being in the band, all that delay, just all that, man, just, just the schmoozing and the labels and I don't know, man. Just the part that's business part. I always hate it. But I knew it had you had to have it, especially if you're gonna do it as a career or do it for longevity, whatever. It all comes with it, but it still sucks. I don't know. I just never really That's why I have my wife. My wife's a bookkeeper. She's been doing our books for I don't know, a long time or almost twenty years. Have my wife in the mix, watching all of us and having our backs and dealing with that shit. Yeah. Cause we had business managers and managers, we had major label, we had Booking agents, all that stuff. People taking like thirty percent at sometimes. Like for what, man? All that stuff is just draining, man. Oh, just I thinking know. about it. And most of the shows you get through your friends. Oh, these guys Ransom want to give you a tour. I'll give you a Dropkick Murphys, and they give it to you. But then the booking agent has to get it because he's there, just hanging right. there. And then the, all that stuff. the other part of it is you end up um, working with people who are doing it, you know, based on equity, right? They're getting yeah. paid if you get paid. I think that there's a lot of, you know, we pay the people that work for us. They get paid first. You know what I mean? Well, we do so. Yeah. Yeah, they get paid yeah. first. So even if it's somebody um, you know, not so much. I mean, we do have an agent. Yeah. Uh we do but too. like, you know, we the people that do the production like figure out what amp cases we need or what we yeah. need to send on a flight. I mean, all that logistics. Yeah. I think in the doc you guys say something like you were touring so much, but you're making like four hundred dollars or something one a month or something like that, something crazy. Dude, I would. Oh, because the tour bus is all that money too. Yeah, yeah. I mean, but it was. But you want to be comfortable too and sleep and get rest and. Perform. Well, that's the thing. I mean, if you're out nine months out of the year, you can't be in a van. You'd fucking kill you. You kill each other but and fucking hate what you're doing. You can be smart about it. Yeah. And that was the thing that felt out of control. Mm. It felt okay. like. We could be smart about it and we could understand where that money so that at you the were end, paying attention. It seemed like to a lot of the details. I just rolled my eyes, looked down and started playing with the side of my shirt. Like <laughs> I'm four like, years old, four years old. What, what, what may have came out, you said, you said like the wet blanket what may have came off that way. You were actually looking, I'm not speaking for you or about your band. It seems like you were on point and paying attention to little details that maybe some people were like, Oh, she's just being the wet blanket. But in reality you were like, yo, Right. This in here, and I don't know. But I'm going to tell you, looking back, I don't know any other way. I mean, I don't know. I it, There's no other way that I can, I, that I think it could have been done. I, yeah. And I'm not exactly sure. You yeah. know what I mean? So it, it was what it was, and sometimes you just need to make those sacrifices. But I knew I couldn't do, when we were doing uh, the beauty process, Yeah. I knew I could not work at the rate that we were working and have a job because we were going to need to have jobs. We were going to need to go back to having day jobs. There was no way around it and still be able to survive these 
you know, life-changing events that happened for me. Mm-hmm. You know, the death of a very good friend yeah, when we were on tour. Fucking killed me. Killed me. Wow, um, the death of my father right before we went on Warp Tour, which is the, the tattoo that, that Siv gave me. Gotcha. is my, my father's signature that okay. from the last, whatever, birthday That's card awesome. that he, he gave me. That's sweet. Oh, you know what? <laughs> Let's do, I'm going to tell you what my tattoo artists and you tell me if you have the same artists. Okay. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Let's do it. Do you, do, you you have, do you have anyone outside of the U.S.? Did you ever go to Hanky Panky? No, I know. Do he you ever do? So much okay. respect. No, that's cool. How about Igor Mortis? No, I know the names. No, man. Oh, okay. You got tattooed Bernie on tour. Bernie Luther? I know the names, yeah. So you got tattooed on tour a bunch. I got tattooed before touring because I used to just go run about. I used to run about. Like when I was a teenager, I went to Europe. I stayed in squats. Okay. You know what I mean? That's I have, sick. So like, you get tattooed a bunch abroad and all that, yeah. Yeah, I don't have a lot of tattoos, but the ones that I have are. Those, those are some seriously respectful names you have on it. Yeah, like, <laughs> that's legit, yeah. That's awesome. I don't think it, only all we have is the same as Siv, and I was his guinea pig, and I have a bunch of tattoos on my body to do in his apartment on Avenue B. I have, you have a lot from Siv. And he redid them later on when he got better. Yeah. I really Great. want um, Lindsay to do something for me, but Lindsay you know, I'm not like, listening. you know, you get to a certain, well, the thing, I've already talked to him, but the, really the reality is I ain't going anywhere, so he has to come up to L.A., and I don't want right. to ask anyone to do that. House call. House call. Do you think I could? Totally. You, you would do cut, that for sure. Will you cut this part out? Yeah. <laughs> do you have anything more? What do you have more? Because I feel like we're just going to be... <laughs> no, I lo- dude, I love all this. I mean, I mean, you were in Decline the Western Civilization, which I think is incredible. You're just in there, right? Just, just being you. You're just like a kid at the show or something. Kid at the show. That's amazing. And then you were in a whole video as well. Yeah, so that was later. That was the 90s. Um, they had lost a bass player to overdose. Yep. So uh, for the song Doll Parts. Yep. As in the video, yep. Love that record. Yeah, Courtney and I are still remain friends today. I mean, I, I, I mean. You I, know, I, to this day. And I mean, talk about an amazing career arc and public facing uh, villain hero. I just, yeah. she is amazing. And oh gosh, it's so great to just be with her in this world. Yeah, it's, am- <laughs> it's amazing. It's a long <laughs> friendship. Also, Umbar, we both have a person we both lost. He, that I worked, I was with him was sick of it all. I don't know if that was after before I was seven, but he passed away, Umbar. And I saw him in the dock and that was pretty heavy because I haven't seen him in years. That was I know. heavy. Yeah. I can't watch the dock because of that. I'm wow. just letting you know. I watched the dock one time because wow. they needed, you know, we were doing edits and, right? Yeah. Uh, and um, I did not want to be involved in anything of that. I actually heavy, uh, did, you know, when I wasn't taking photos, I was yeah. filming. So um, it's interesting because I having a, it's hard from my perspective of the doc. Yeah. But in my perspective, I'm not in a lot of the shots because I was taking the shots. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But you're saying that, that but you know, I guess it's the, it really is the presence of L7, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. I mean, I, I mean, Fuck, I'm going to go through my notes now because I feel like you, you were like talking about yourself, which I love that you're very humble and a wonderful person. Um, <laughs> but, there's so, but there's so many things that you end up doing, like even producing like the Ramones Kids album, you involved in that, right? Yep, I, yep, I remember yep. that record. That was awesome. I remember that. I wish that, see, that's another thing that kind of, uh, it was on um, uh, Go-Kart. Yeah, Go-Kart And Go-Kart, records, Go-Kart yeah. was having problems right at the end, like mm-hmm. everybody else. I feel like that project kind of got lost in the licensing. Yeah. I would love to talk to those guys and try to kind of reboot it or, somehow. Or do another one, like a part two or something. Okay, okay. You know what I mean? Okay. That'd, be, that'd be awesome. Okay. And then, but like, I mean, to work, to work in a position where I would 
showing up with with Jack Grisham and Ooh, badass. I mean, just and just being like in a production role, like to be yeah. like, I'm here to facilitate you to do the best vocal you can do. So let's. How do you need me to support you? Yeah, was. <laughs> You know, Black Dahlia. Can you imagine? I've known Black Dahlia from the Dwarves since the 80s or something. And again, it's just like sitting across from these amazing people. Josie Cotton, who's one of my all-time favorite uh, and uh, and Mm -hmm. underappreciated, you know, personalities. Yeah. Uh, I love just having that juice to call and say, hey, I'm doing this thing for, you know, St. Jude's Children's Hospital. And uh, like, would you want to come and do a track? You should do part two. Now's the time. People people want to do stuff. They want to be creative right now. I want to lock down. It's like everybody's got home studios. You can do something really cool, man. Thank you. I think I think it'd be totally possible. And you did you in the John Waters Serial Moms? Yeah. L seven played a role Sick. in Serial Moms. Camel Lips. Camel Lips, yeah. It's <laughs> amazing. Which I mean again, talk about being in the energy of yeah. such a dynamic yeah. human. And two years ago, it's now 2020, so this uh, possibly could have been 2019 or 2018, we went and sort of performed, I guess you would say, for a John Wa- for John Waters' birthday, oh, and wow. again, got to hang out with him and do That's some amazing. signings and just be, talk, catch up. Yeah. He's incredible, man. What a genius, man. Incredible movies. Mm-hmm. And then you did something with movie, movie uh, with Office Space? I did. So after L7, after L7, I was with in the band with, with Chris Bratton. Yeah. And then later, um, with (laughs) Todd Phillips, who was in Bullet La Volta. I don't know if you know. I remember that name. Right. Right. So we all just started this, you know, again, a sort of a collective of music writers. Yeah. And we did a song, uh, produced a song called Then There's None, which came out on A&M and then went to Interscope. And that was used in as the theme, kind of the theme reoccurring song in Office Space. That's, that's a, a big movie too, man. Yeah. And we also had, I mean, there's another weird thing about my career is a lot of um, the songs that I wrote because I controlled the publishing, went out to many different, like, so um, all through like... Degrassi Jackass years, yeah, Degrassi, Buffy mm-hmm. the Vampire, Roswell. Wow. Like it kind of got to be on the soundtracks of a lot of those television shows, which Fucking I kind of think was the a last great era of crap television. <laughs> With Degrassi and all that, you mean? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. All before the reality shows. and Yeah, before the budgets got cut and the writer's strikes and all the stuff, all the things, all um, the things. Degrassi High, fucking... I'm not gonna ask you that one. Oh what yeah, one? these, these are just some of the people we dated, but that's that's irrelevant, stupid. Um, Wait, what? <laughs> no, just, that's all no, the people you gave rather stupid. That's no, what I no, heard. No, 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 because you would uh, you mentioned like dating some musicians, but it's 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 it's, it's irrelevant. Oh, dating? Oh, yeah, I dated. I I ended up dating musicians, yeah. but I ended up marrying a NASCAR driver. That's so right. I want, I want that man, a NASCAR driver, inventor, actor. That's right. I have written <laughs> down right here too. Holy shit! That's right, Chris. I, Chris yes. Patterson, and again, yes. again, best friends since we were both little kids. Um, hard, you know, grew up in the hardcore scene. We went to BYO shows together. BYO. Do you know what I mean? Like we were right up there in front. And then, like seriously, it was one of those things. Like, you know, I'm heart stricken from I don't know what's going on with the L7 stuff and the Umbar and my dad. And he's, you know, like, what are we gonna do with our lives? We do. Get literally, I was like, we're best friends, let's get married. And it was so oh sweet, God, it's beautiful. It was so beautiful, but you know, it just didn't like it. One of those things where, uh, 
It just Maybe didn't. seven years? Yeah, I think officially 10 years. You know, there were some lingering, some lingering years. Um, <laughs> really great, awesome guy. Great. You know, my heart was broken when we divorced, of course. But, you know, you look back and you're just like, wow, this was just this amazing person to have gone through life with and like such a, a fun kind of time. I'm sure you guys are still close to friends, all that. What kind of, well, here's the thing is I do have many male friends, but they often get married and it becomes mm. difficult, like the dynamic okay. changes. Yeah. And I do have a really good sense of like, I would always hold space for them or their wives or their families. But, you know, you start to, it, it, it like interferes in the, the traditional dynamic to have this kind of loose ex wandering around and i've gone to at least two of my really good guy friends weddings on my own and been put in like the weird table you know the one that's in the, the back corner. of like Gosh. and it's just like wow i i understand it i don't mm. i'm not resentful but i understand it mm, interesting Th i don't agree with it yeah i, I think that's yeah because your friends your friends are just well, there's this, you know, there's this thing that we're always taught about competing and family and like resource competing and what it means and, you know, yeah. the coupling up and, and it's an, I guess it's important. It works. Right. So yeah. I'm going to fast forward through all this stuff because I know you don't feel weird talking about all your stuff, but like diamonds in the belly of the dog. Right. That right. Album? So that was the album that came out on originally on AM that went over to Interscope and kind of yeah. just clunked, but it is available on iTunes. It has some really interesting songs on it. I think it's one of the most interesting. I feel like records that I had made, it was produced by Roy Thomas Baker who okay. produced queen. Oh wow. And journey. Okay. And Damn. it was meant with Chris Bratton and I originally and Xander Smith, who is our other creative partner in it and Junko Ito, who is our yeah. other creative partner. It was meant to be kind of a pop parody, okay. you know, kind of like really taking the sickening parts of pop and going lo-fi and I love that. It, it turned into something different when it was produced. And, you know, we all get together once in a while and we go, oh, why did we do that? But <laughs> okay, that's what happened. Yeah. You know? And we it got to experience what it was like to be with a producer of that intensity. Yeah, that's awesome. You work with that person for sure. Yeah. So, and, and really, that's what made me one of a better musician, you Pushed know, because he, he commanded excellence. I have a really. Was that intimidating to be working with that guy? Oh, my God. Because I'll tell you, a lot of his. Intimidation was one of his techniques to to have creative excellence. And there was a time I was working with my creative partners, Xander Smith and Chris Bratton, yeah. when they would be like, Roy, how did you get that sound on the cars? That was so cool. Like, what amp did you use? Like, what <laughs> pedal did you it's use? Nerding out questions, yeah. Yeah, and Roy would just go, oh, darling, that is musicianship, not trickery. Wow. And it would make the boy, like the boys were just looking for a way, like, and I'm going to say boys because they were looking for a way to connect with this man who's mm. multiple Grammy award winning yeah. guy. And he would just rip them, rip them apart. And his other tactic was to support me. You're doing mm. so good. Oh my God. You know, your voice is a raspy there. Let's hit that higher note. And it would, it basically destroyed our band. Chris was like, wow. I'm out. Like Chris was, I'm out. And I'm like, you can't leave me. You can't leave me. <laughs> and he's like, this is BS. And he was out. Wow, man. And uh, yeah. And we got, yeah. Right? It, it, we actually got studio. I mean, the studio musicians that played on that record secretly, like if anyone goes and gets the notes and reads like uh, additional instrumentation would mm -hmm. be like, what? We had people in the cars. We had, wow. 
you know. What a cool experience, t- man. Yeah, it was pretty cool what, being what a part that? of that. Oh, and, nine, and nine. you know, Xander and I had vision of orchestration. You know, we wanted an orchestra. So yeah. it was kind of like me going and finding, you know, like, what's the day rates? Like, what is a cellist charge? And like, if they wrote something, what does it mean? So I learned a lot on that record. Yeah. And there's full orchestrations. There's tabla players. You know what I mean? Like, it's really amazing. Sonically. That's, a, that's, a cra- that's an awesome experience to have on you. But whether, whether you think about it now, looking back at it, what were you thinking? But still, it's, it's awesome to have that. Yeah. To work with that, that guy. You yeah, know? absolutely. Absolutely. And push, and push you, you know what I mean? Right. And then musically, what came later was the shocker, which was another yeah, idea. Here, yeah. yeah. Of like my idea right? of, yeah, of like I've always been about the band, the band. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? The, the co-creation, the community of the band. Yeah. So the shocker really was just trying to survive a lot of like ins and outs and going, but we were on Warp Tour twice, you know, twice warped. Yeah. In two thousands, right? Yeah, in the two thousands, and and did a lot of really great shows. Sex and Progress. Sex and Progress was a pro- just a, was a no, I want to say was a a project. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But it, I kind of get um, credited for it. But I actually would give Evie, who was in a band called Evil Beaver, Evil the, Beaver, Evil Beaver through the nineties. Carter kind of came up through Ride Girl. That was really her thing. Yeah, and the Betty Blow Torch. You know, again, it, I don't know what was going on with me, but <laughs> as far as like being in defining moments, but they're yeah. a really sad thing. Like there was this band, Betty Below Church. I was friends yeah. for a long time with them. They had a horrible breakup on the road. And so I flew out to fill in for guitar okay. and the singer, um, Bianca Halstead, who's the bass player, singer, front person for that band, died in a car accident Jesus while God. I was on the road in New Orleans in a hotel. Do you know what I mean? And it's just like, it's heavy. It was really heavy. And I was like faced with these traumas. And that happened the whole thing too. Uh, Just one right after the other of like, you know, basically her band, most of her band left her. It was myself and, and a couple a couple other people you can watch. They have a doc. I've never yeah. watched the doc. I'm going like, to check it out. I've check it out. never watched it. I don't know what role I play in it. Okay. I don't know how they talk about me. I don't know how they talk about themselves. Yeah. Uh, but it was, yeah, not. Wow, man. And there were people, I mean, I do not have enemies in this world. I, I And I very rarely look at people and don't see nuance. Like, mm-hmm. And I understand the difference between bad behavior and bad people. Yeah. There were people on that tour that I saw just the darkest side of sociopaths I would ever. I mean, it was incredible. And I'm not going to say who mm-hmm. those characters are. They weren't necessarily in the band, but around it, the label uh, just. Yeah. You know, and you look, I'm not, I, I, I feel very confident and strong and fortified as a human being now, but I yeah. wasn't all those years. I was very sensitive and emotional mm. and, you know, it was just like, okay. And I, I mean, I'm not emotional, like crying on the kitchen floor, but like shit really hit me and sunk in. Mm. You know what I mean? Did you have to be harder to be in the band and be on the tour and this image of L7? I never felt I had to. Okay. I mean, people received that. Yeah. I never felt I had to. I'd cry on stage, you yeah. know, if I was feeling it, you know yeah. what I mean? Like I... Yeah, I wasn't hiding behind anything and a lot of people, but you know what happens is in life. And I think L7 is kind of part of this. And it's something that I always look at in myself is this idea that I'm a receptacle of everything I know. So when I receive information, I'm going to put it into the spaces I know. 
Totally. So people only knew about women performers as being either hard ass or sex symbols. Like that was all they knew. And they even didn't even have anywhere to go for the idea of a badass, Mm. you know, especially in music, like looking at iconology. And I think I was so innocent. I was like, punk rock and hardcore (laughs) open-minded. Yeah. (laughs) Me too. Open-minded. And I was just really surprised to find out it was the same repeated intervention, not with bands. Band members were always supportive of us, but it was the people that had to create the small bite size marketing text or photographs. Mm. You know, those are the ones, the writers, the editors, the record company owners, the managers. I mean, you want to talk about sexism? I'm sure nobody does. Let's talk about ageism. Mm. When we one one of the original meetings that I had with an attorney who was a, a very popular for being in the DIY system and then bringing bands into a wider audience yeah. who worked with us in the late eighties, yeah, said, "How old is everybody in the band?" Wow! And it made me age down. It made me go, "I'm," because I was twenty, uh-huh. and um, I said eighteen. And that the other gals were 20, 21, because I heard him. I heard what he was saying under that question. And then he said, oh, great. They'll still have a few years left in you. Jesus. And that information has been. uh, That was brutal. It's harsh. Yeah, that's horrible, man. It's so much pressure. No, I just, yeah, I just. Yeah, there's a lot of bolted into that. Wow, man. uh, Statement. Yeah. And that's pretty much probably. Fuck, man. Yeah, right. (laughs) Um, okay, we're almost done now because I know I know you're. A, um, well, the reunion, obviously, L7 reunion. Reunion. And how was it? Here's my question: Between you leaving the band and just everything you've been through, did you was it was it was sobriety hard after you left the band? No, it was easier after I left the band. Okay, wow. No, that's <laughs> great. This I want trick. I, this is a trick question. No, it's not. I'm just wondering, like, because you know, it's a big no, deal. That, I, that's like you your know, baby. That's your heart. That's your love. That's your life. Yeah. I mean, I think like, listen to even how I'm talking. Community is really important. Yeah. Being on the road upends that Mm -hmm. a lot, you know, and being able to be home. um, Of course, I, you know, other star people went and toured. The shocker went and toured. But it still still allowed me uh, some leeway to be able to create community with other people that were clean, other to be able to tour with other people where that could be the priority. Yeah. Of, I mean, I'm not saying priority because I don't want to say like I only picked other musicians based on their, no, I know. you know, drug use status. But I know it definitely helps when it's a, a little bit of a different uh, life philosophy. I'd yeah. Say. Was it weird working with n- new people that weren't L7, like your family, like going in and stepping out and leaving and then start working with different people? Was that might have been it might have been a fresher breath. That, I don't know what it could be, but it's something new for you. you I know? love the women in L7. Yeah, because your sister's I yeah. was the youngest. Yeah. And I think that like that kind of like sibling hierarchy yeah. played a role in the relationship to them. Totally. Um, you know, in a lot. And, you know, my own drug use put them in a position, you know, for which I'm so grateful as protector. Mm-hmm. But while I still had the opinions over business. So I think a lot of the conflict... When I was able to go into other bands, I could be the older sibling. I could be the one. Cool. No, I mean, not physically, yeah. but um, I could be the one that was taken seriously, who had experience, who 100%. had proficiency. So it's different when you're coming in on a band because 
When I joined L7, I couldn't get in. We played bars, and I couldn't get into those bars. Wow. Like, I had to get in and leave right after we would yeah. play. Yeah, sneak right? in there. And, you know, the, the gals are only a year or two older than I am, but yeah. they, they, that's a big difference at that age. Totally. Yeah. Were, you, were you missing? So when the reunion, obviously leading up to the reunion, were you missing playing? Like, was there, was there a, did you think about them or uh, maybe one day with your reunion or just miss being in that band or you just kind of moved on with your life and just... Wow, that's a really good question. Did I miss? Did I feel missing or desire or like an emptiness? To be on I, stage with them again, play those songs. Yeah, and to write with them. Yeah. Uh, to yeah. have, you know, D be the drummer. To have, you know, Danita be, you know, contributing harmony and guitar mm. and, and lead. And like, I mean, I still, when I listen to Susie Gardner's leads, they're they're music they're melodic yeah. they stand alone like um yeah. you know i don't want to talk like there's a lot of songs i could pull on but one yeah. that uh, that i sing on one more thing mm-hmm. i am i sound like ass on that song honestly like i was still developing uh, a voice you know i hadn't really found my voice yet yeah Susie and danita and d kill that song like mm-hmm. they make it awesome by kill, you know, as kids, we use yes. kill means awesome. Sorry. Yeah, for sure, I know. They I know, kill I know it on that song. They, pl- they Their contributions floors me to this day when we play that song. Mm. To this day. I'm just like, oh, <laughs> 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 what? You know, I'm yeah. awed. I'm awed by their expertise. I'm awed by them as people. So getting back and playing the show and being back with them, it must have felt great. Yeah. Yeah, of course. I mean, it, it is honestly, it's like, you know, confusing and odd for me to kind of be standing on the side of the stage and not sort of the central focus, which I ended up for the more majority of my performance yeah. career. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, it's there's time and place for all of us. And that's mm-hmm. what being in a band means, I suppose. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's that's changing. I think that that's changing. I think that it's going to be really hard for people that just want to be musicians moving forward. Mm. It's interesting. You know, there's going to be focus, more focus on just the way it was in the 50s. I like that. What is moving forward from like the pandemic, or just in life in from general? The, from the pandemic. Yeah. I think it's going to just go back to the cult of personality, creating music with the silent musician, silent partner, silent producer, if any. Yeah, how, how do you feel about like moving forward playing shows as far as, I mean, I know they're announcing shows next year. It's just... How do you feel? I, I haven't played a show in a year. I'm just like, it's the longest I've been home in my life, which is great. And I'm lucky I'm in a good marriage and my wife doesn't want to kill me. But she told me that because <laughs> I went on tour so much, that's, what, that's why we stayed together because I would, I would go and I would come back and we had this message, missing each other thing. But now we don't have that. Um, so it's really like a test of people's relationships and just everything, like being home, being stuck in one place for so long. But um, I'm trying not to think about music because I have no control over it. Like even if they're announcing it, it's not up to the booking agents or the venues. It's up to the governors and the government and the every, you know what I mean. It's like it's out of my hands, man. I can't do anything about it. It's like I I, I would try to learn on this pandemic not to stress you, about things I think, can't control. Do you think people are? Because I'm not concerned about as a musician. I'm more concerned as an audience member. I mean, one thing yeah. I really do miss is going and seeing bands. Me too. And I agree. Uh, that, and then I, I think about going to, like what was the last show I even, you know, like in 2019, I think I went and saw Rancid. Yeah. A, you know, like, uh, you know, talk about <laughs> just going, <laughs> like where, go to the obvious, go to the obvious, you know, but you know, it's going to be a good show. You Amazing know what I mean? Amazing show. So, <laughs> 
And, uh, you know, I, I think back to my, that was my experience of my last live show pre what is going to redefine the world. And I'm just thinking to all the drunk people and the beer spilling and the yelling and the like vomiting and the peeing on a wall and like mm. all the stuff that was involved with that festival lifestyle, like yeah. not lifestyle. Oh, sorry. We, pl- we played that show with you. What are we talking about? We played with you in Arizona. Yeah. With Rancid. Yeah. It was that like uh, sponsored a booze thing. I forgot what it was called. It was... I don't know. The Bash. The Bash. What is, it was only last year. How I'm can you not remember I'm that? I'm sorry because... Do you know Lindsay Carmichael did the same thing He was to there me. too. Oh my God. I saw pictures with you guys. Okay. I'm going to kill both of you. <laughs> you both need to figure out like your lives. There was L7, H2O, uh, Rancid, Boston's. You're welcome. Dude, that was so awesome, man. That was terrible. It was? I'm, yeah. Okay, okay. It was awesome to play with these guys. To be guys, together. But the outdoor, we played early. Okay, let's keep it real. <laughs> what was it What wow. was it like playing? Do you remember we that played, stage? We played early. Do you, do you, so you don't even remember fun. me coming and seeing you. Yes, I do. Yes, it was a huge stage. And huge it barricade. was so hot. So hot. We played fucking early. I do remember that. And it was fucking, I don't know. Yeah, it was kind of weird. Everybody's drunk. You have to to come to the stage it gave me anxiety like i was on the warp tour that's what it gave me it gave me like i was playing at 11 o'clock in the morning on the warp tour and the doors hadn't opened yet and people were still coming in it gave me that anxiety i'm gonna keep it real i appreciate you the bash it was really fun to play with these bands it was like a throwback show but it gave me the anxiety of like oh i have to try to win over new people and doing this for 25 years maybe old and the people still walking in when you're playing that kind of vibe and now after all these years of the daytime show they still don't know how to set up a stage so that it's not facing the sun. That's true too. Like, can someone yeah, just well, get a compass? Guys. Get a compass, you guys. You're right. That's what I do. I'm walking. <gasps> oh, she's okay. What is that? The dog jumped. It's okay. She's okay to jump? Yeah. I am, I'm a lover of the dachshund and it's not okay for the dachshund did, to did, jump. Did you enjoy that show? I enjoy every show. Okay. I enjoy every show, but like I'm saying, I'm the one walking to stage going, really, after all these years? What do you blanket? guys you're all the guys from the, you're all from the warp tour all you stage guys it was who set the stage up in the sun <laughs> such a wet blanket um, i am the worst wet blanket ever yeah that was weird being honest i, I don't know i just I, mean, I was never i love the warp tour it was great one met so many people uh a new audience all that but just the outside and the plane just all that was just like right. do you know do you want to know i'm gonna do you want to know uh, my uh take on what ruined hardcore Please fucking, please fucking uh, tell me. It's a season. <laughs> She's into it. Please tell me. Say it right now because I'm going to let Stella. Like, tell me. Okay. Tell me, tell no, me. But you can't just walk away. Oh, He's walking away to let the dog out while I talk about hardcore. I'm talking it. Oh, oh, I already said it. Tell me. No, you didn't. <laughs> the hardcore matinee. Mm, like a CB Sunday matinee was yep. sick. I know. How For you kids. Mm. Because then the hardcore matinee. Look, I, you know what? We had our own version in Los Angeles that was at Cafe de Grand that was these daytime shows that allowed all ages, and they were great. Okay. The all ages daytime show led to the festival. And when the mm. festival had to happen, the festival had to divide their stages. Good point. And when the festival had to divide their stages... Break it down. It genrefied music to such an extent... Beyond what record stores did, beyond what Hot Topic did, although those two really helped, and that's yeah. what that's what ruined music. Eh, at the end, wet blanket. No, that's, that's 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 a great point. That's a great point. Holy crap! I never even thought about that, dude. 
Wow. Lollapalooza really started it. But Lollapalooza also famously went into the night so that the headliners were seen as nighttime bands and the other bands were seen as daytime bands. And that's the difference. And that's my book title. (laughs) I don't know what it is. You guys did Lollapalooza, obviously. No, no. A single-handedly Kevin Lyman of Warped ruined everything. No, I'm just kidding. No, he, I'll, but I'll, he did. I'll but think, he did. But in, I love. I don't in think a good he's way. listening. In a good way. But he he united so many of us like bands that would never really play together usually with such a diverse bill at some point. How points. did that work out for you? Uh, I'm just kidding. <laughs> 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 I, I feel like I feel like there are pros and cons for all of it. But <laughs> the, the pros is like meeting all diverse people. Yeah, but we would have met on tour anyway. Yeah, we would have met on a nighttime tour. Nighttime. A nighttime tour. With some daytime all ages shows, but you know what? There was nothing wrong with the nighttime all ages show. That was mm. Gilman Street. That was Jabberjaw here in LA. Yeah. Other places here in LA. Golden Voice put on all ages shows at night all the time. Mm. But it was that parenting weird daytime. Bring your dad to punk rock. It was damn. He just broke it down, man. But you know what? What was really great is when the Shocker went back on to Warp Tour. Okay, yeah. <laughs> it would be kind of fun. He was, <laughs> was going to say, yeah, and kind of look at all these kids because we had a really young audience and to be like, hey, is, is your dad here? Is your dad still married to your mom? <laughs> Come on. What year was that? What it's year was the Shockers on there? Because the Warped Tour changed um, so drastically. 04, 07. No, that was good. That was good then. Yeah, it started changing more after that. But It yeah, was still it was, daytime. Yeah, it was still daytime. They still had like the parents area mm-hmm. at the tent, waiting in the tent and yeah, stuff. Yeah, it was day camp. Wow, that was what it always geared in to be. Do you, do you have any? And regret- that's what the bands turned into. Yeah. And I love. Look, I'm just gonna tell you right now, Black Veil rides, love them. Falling in reverse. I'm okay with like, some convicts. Not what happened, but you know what I mean. Like all the drama. Like I was good with all of it. Yeah, you 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 listened to newer stuff and you were. O- Checking out newer bands and all that. I stopped listening. Then, okay, so all of us, right? If you're over, whatever, over 30 and you're listening to this podcast, you have the era that you stopped listening to music. That's pretty the, true. The joke used to be how a woman's hairstyle was would indicate the year she stopped listening to music. <laughs> so you can see this really gorgeous bouffant I have right now indicating <laughs> I stopped in 1957, possibly 62. But... It really, it kind of does. So the last year, I really, really stopped listening. And uh, can I say this on the radio? Let's say the radio. To white music. Mm. To white music was um, probably, you know, thrice. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, I just really, like, that's when the genres hit for me. That when all the genres coming together with the heaviness and the hardcore Mm. and, like, the brutalness. I loved. Thursday, Taking Back Sunday, stuff like that. That's a little commercial for me, but okay, okay. I'd still go down that. Okay. I mean, I'd still go down that. To this day, today, I will tell you, because sometimes do you ever just test yourself if you turn on like something like K-Rock and you're just like, what do I turn up? Mm. Imagine Dragons. Great band. They, great, they, they, got, <laughs> they, they got some hits, so they got some catchy songs. Nothing, when, when I DJ, nothing will clear a room like Imagine Dragons. <laughs> I'm just saying, yeah. nothing will clear My a room. My son loved them when he was younger, but yeah, they had some hits. They had some catchy songs, man. Yeah. Catch yourself, sing along to that stuff. Um, do you have any regrets in your life? No. Love that. I love I, when people I don't say even no. Know what I love it. Th- you know, sometimes I get resentful, though. I have resentments in my life. 
Yeah. I have resentments, but I feel them, own them, and give them space and kind of ask them, what do they need me to know? Because I think that resentments and regret is the kind of thing that's your subconscious trying to use emotion to inform you of something that's important in your yeah. current life, right? Mm -hmm. So, you know, when I feel something, I, I try to get to know it better. I love that. And I'm a person like, dude, my upbringing, everything about what calculated to make me a human being, you know, relied on things like shame and embarrassment. Mm. You know, those are the things that I felt the most. I would walk off stage just embarrassed for no reason. Really? The show, yeah, the show would go great. I'm just saying it's that kind of thing where you're saying what anxiety looked like for you yeah. as a woman looked like shame to me. Gotcha. And that's how the voice, because it's just, it's all the same emotion. Like we share mm -hmm. the emotion, but it's how we're interpreting it in our heads, yeah. right? What we're, the, I like to call it the story we're telling ourselves about mm -hmm. it. Having to get to new, know new people, having been in the band, that's the same stuff, right? Yeah. And it's just the story. Your story is different than my story, but the feelings are probably the same. Yeah. So I always in my life now try to look at those feelings to, to figure out, is there information, particularly around re resentment, regret, and and, and what I'm going to call jealousy, because I think as a woman, you're not allowed to feel jealous because mm -hmm. you're either part of that problem or you're embarrassed because you're part of the problem. Yeah, like, yeah, you know yeah. what I mean? Mm -hmm. I, I can't even explain it. Like, we're not supposed to be jealous of each yeah. other. But jealousy can just be an indicator of like, you know, maybe there's something I need to look at. Maybe if I'm jealous of a band or you know what I mean? Like they mm -hmm. got some kind of opportunity that seemed like it came more easy to them. Then I just need to go take a piano lesson and mm -hmm. you know what I mean? Go yeah. look at myself. Yeah. I love that. Do you have any daily rituals? I do. And they're not that it's the ritual. It's the daily ritual. It, it can switch out of what okay. it looks like right now. It's, I do like morning pages. I wake up in the morning clearly I don't have children in the house and I <laughs> I wake up and I get to write you know I That's write awesome. for about 20 minutes free write it's nothing that would ever be shown it's not to produce anything it is just purely just like so on your mind just whatever anyway. dude my mind is like a bucket of woe <laughs> seriously my brain's the worst wet blanket I don't even take anything from my conscious mind seriously at this point which is a gift wow. of age because you're just like Ugh. so really I just need to spend some time dumping okay I like dumping, that dumping, dumping, dumping. Dump is out. it therapy for you, kind of, just to write and just? Yeah, I guess it's therapy. Yeah, and, you know. Also, I'm of service in my communities too, and like recovery community and volunteer work. So you know, I mean, the second I start getting like resentful or have regret, you know, I mm -hmm. know I need to call somebody who needs support and help, and they have more resentment and more regret, and you know what I mean. So I, I love that. You uh, you can see so optimist or pessimist. There, I'm not even in the playing field, dude. I'm a whole other thing. You're a realist? I'm not, I'm not even there. Okay. Not even there. What right. are you? Do you consider... I, I, I'm too much of an optimist. My wife says she's a realist. She's like, I live in reality. You live in like this little positive bubble and the world's wonderful and we're all going to hold hands and be united. And everything's going to be great. And um, yeah, I don't know. I've, I've always just always thought on the positive tip my whole life. I don't mm -hmm. know. Look to the positive. But my wife's like, she's a realist. She kind of breaks it down for me sometimes. It snaps, snaps me back into yeah. reality. <laughs> yeah. It's interesting because women often play that role. Like when you're really coupled up with like someone who's an optimist. Because like, I, I know myself from trying to like, you know, either date, you know, men that are creatives. Uh, you just, you, you end up 
I don't know. Like society just bolts you into an extension, you know, and like as a team, you start to play your your roles, right? Which is why my marriage really, I mean, I'm not going to say my marriage didn't work out because I feel my marriage did work out. Yeah. Despite divorce, it worked out exactly how it was supposed to work out. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I, I kind of feel like we couldn't settle in to the identity of a married couple. Like, is he the smart one and I'm the money one? Is I'm I the money one? And he's mm. the, the hold the house down. And like, you know, that's what wasn't working is it's really confused in the, the realm yeah. of partnership and family. Like mm. I was just like, I know there's something I'm supposed to be doing, <laughs> but I don't know exactly how to, to, um, participate I guess is the right yeah. word because I don't want to say manifest but I want to say participate I don't mm. know what I'm supposed to be doing so you think you ever get married again well I realized that marriage has a lot to do with establishing partnership and property and power and children so I don't feel like I feel like I I'm not against it yeah I'm not for it I'm just another voice in another way to live. Respect that. Yeah. That's all it is. And um, I currently do live with somebody and they are amazing. Yeah. And I am so grateful to I met him. He's cool. Wake up. Yeah. Wake up every day and like be in this person's life, which I think at the end of the day, sometimes when you get that frustration and wow, the relate, because I get what you're saying, that relationship of going away and coming back, that is a real energy. That's like a real energy and it, it 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 might i'm not saying for you but for me i was the one leaving and cj was the one staying home yeah and i think that messed with the dynamic a mm. lot you know yeah. and um it wasn't making sense it wasn't making sense for us as a couple okay you know i'd be out on warp tour you know <laughs> but you know what i mean yeah it, it's it, hard it, you know c- calling home you know, being completely unable to do the things because in the role, I provided a more traditional role in my relationship and okay. I would leave, oh, there would just be this huge vacuum. You know what I mean? Mm. Like stuff would fall apart. Bees would move into the garage. Yeah. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Like yeah. doors would break and he would just be like, uh, the door's broken. And I'd be like, I'm in Pittsburgh. Yeah. It's storming. So Exactly. <laughs> it's so hard to have this conversation from tour too. Like, cause you're like, I'm not really having fun. We just played a show. It's freaking hot. We have to get in the van now. We're exhausted. We haven't slept. But everybody's yelling in the background. Like, I don't want to act like my wife. Like, she's at home, like, with my son when he's first born. I'm on tour. And she's just, you know what I mean? Like, I'm, I'm I work and I'm just doing my thing. And I cannot imagine that, that role. Because, yeah. you know, I talk to a lot of women who are in that role. How are you doing on time? Are you okay if I go into some other long-winded no, story? No, we fucking love this. I love okay. this. I've been waiting to have you on. I'm okay. fucking safe. Okay. People love so, this shit. Check this out. <laughs> Agree or disagree. Okay. The idea of DIY to commercial success in many of the bands that we know is dictated by how old the firstborn child is of the members of the band. Wow. Okay. <laughs> That's very interesting to think about. It was a dynamic in the 90s that like when uh, people from our scene... Um, started to get successful or commercially successful, somebody got pregnant. Mm. Wow. So go back and look. Okay, I will do that. I'll do my research. Green Day. Just look at the age of their oldest child. 
Interesting, man. Francis Bean Cobain. And you can tell what year that that man, because we're talking, we're going to, I'm going to gender it out. Okay. That got, first got money, first got success. Mm. It's very, it's very interesting. That's some, that's some, some real shit you said. (laughs) I'm going to have to look into that. Wow, man. That's a really good point, actually. Yeah. Um, what what would be what would be your top? Do you have a top five influential artist or author or photographer or something? Somebody, a human that inspired you in any way? So, uh, you know, I've been inspired my whole life, and in and an entire community, and people like you, and people who do the day to day of the kind of lifestyle that we have. I'm going to say that in a short, condensed. All right, thank you. That's awesome. Yeah, but I will say, like artists that I'm that I follow right now who have done incredible things in this world that right now you can follow on Instagram and the people that I think are the most, you know, subversive, the ones that are really changing the world. Um, Ai Weiwei is a great, incredible artist. Ai Weiwei? Ai Weiwei. Okay. Um, you know, to come into the, his story, he, do you want to know about him? Yeah, no. how do you how do you how do you, how do you, how do you uh, spell his name? A I W E I W E I I Weiwei. Okay. Um, he was he's probably our age. Can okay. you say he's our age? No, he has to be older than us. He has to be in his sixties. Um, he was born in China and he went to the United States and spent fifteen years. So he's very I'm going to say Western. You know what I mean? Okay. He his father was a dissident poet and he came to the United States and he was part of the New York late punk scene. He wow. was and, and uh, the hardcore scene, the just the emergence of the hardcore scene. But he was also part of like Jeff Koons and Andy Warhol and oh, like okay, all okay. of the stuff that was like the 70s. And I thought maybe just the beginning of the 80s. I don't know when he now. left. OK, so he went back because his father was ill and he wanted to take care of his family. So he had an agreement that he was an artist. He was meant to not be in China. He was meant to be an artist here in the yeah. United States. So he went home and he became an artist and he started to challenge the norms of China. Okay. And one of the first things he did, which is just very Western, was he challenged the idea of the ready-made product, which is like all about like the stuff that we did in punk rock, right? Okay. He took this old Ming vase and videotaped himself throwing it and then challenged people's culture to understand why. So he did that okay. kind of stuff, right? Like it's a little bit, we've seen it. Okay. Right? You know, we've seen the Queen and the Sex Pistols and yeah, like yeah. all the narratives and the Dead Kennedys. Like, so think of like the artists who worked with Dead Kennedys or okay. you know worked in that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. right. So um, he had an agreement with the, the Chinese government, and they supported him, and they did all this stuff. And there was like events in China that he didn't agree with, not because he felt that the government was how they were structured, but because of transparency. He became really big on transparency. He challenged China to even do a show called. Fuck you, China. Wow. In China. Wow. And challenging these ideas. So you know what happened? He got jailed. He okay. went to jail. They bulldozed his studio. Wow. They imprisoned his family. So he was in prison for um, a certain amount of time. And there was a big call out to the United States to see if the U.S. arts could bail him out, like people in the arts. Holy so like shit. people like if you go... Um, Shepherd Fairy, yeah, people like that really stepped up, and they were like, "This is this guy," you know. Like you could go right now to Shepherd Fairy site, who's another great artist, and see right. and, and find his portrait of A Y Y. Okay, I Weiwei. Sorry. How long ago was he in jail? Like when was that? 
a couple of years ago. Okay. 2014. I get, I'm getting wow. a little bad, so I need That's to insane. I need to pull it, it together. Sounds super punk. So the, the Western community raised one billion dollars <laughs> to bail him out of jail. What? And he went to um, move to Berlin and has been kind of touring around the world. He he to the point, and this is the story. Like actually, we're recording it right now, and it may be wrong. So because I don't, there's a part of the story that gets people can look it up weird. too. But he was leaving China and I believe he was at the airport in Australia. Okay. And they hooded him and took him out of the airport in Australia to the Chinese embassy and kidnapped him. And that's kind of where I think the like, no, you can't do this to an artist. Holy shit, man. So, um, fucking scary. So yeah, he works now, you know, he's a conceptual artist, which I think is the way the arts are going. I do. And he's amazing and subversive. And he does, you know, his, his stuff right now is very subtle. So I think like if you were to kind of look at what he does, you really need to look deeper. Mm -hmm. But you know, I felt that way about hardcore. I felt like my intro into listening to Black Flag was like, you know, and I just, but then when you get kind of deeper into the lyric and the meaning and the culture and the context and how it was created and why it was created and what it was created with, if you're into that kind of stuff. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's just the same investigation into like this artist's life. I love that. So that's that's a main one for you. So I follow him on Instagram and you know, you just, you just don't know with him. I mean, that's, that's like a for real. Yeah. Life. So and then I'm just listening like I just, you know, I do not go on TikTok uh, intentionally, like we said. <laughs> it's not because I don't think I would have fun or it's a, yeah. a genre. I just don't want to see Coca-Cola ads. Like, I just don't yeah. want to see it. So, you know, I, I still game. So I'm kind of on Discord and other places. But yeah. So gaming, you're like a gamer. I still game. Yeah. For Yeah. What, I, what kind of game? What, what games? You know, I've always played kind of like Raid the Castle. Okay. Kind of games. You know, so kind of grew up through, I guess, like Warcraft, then World of Warcraft, and Sick, did some Fortnite. But lately, I've been playing more like Fall Guys, and you know, Among I know nothing us about that world. I know it's huge, man. It's crazy. Well, it is the it is the where it's where the subversion and the controversy are. I mean, Gamergate and all that, like the controversy and the community, the community building. That's all. Yeah, so you play with a group of strangers and stuff, like you're all set up on there. and Yeah. Wow, man. And some of the best, like most innovative stuff I think that I've done outside of, say, music and art has been in software. Okay. And it was meeting people through, you know, you know, being in groups with them and meeting every Sunday and talking and hearing about their lives and then like conquering, you know, conquering the the boss of whatever, (laughs) you know, Dungeon Castle and then talking about, oh, what do you do? Oh, you're a software developer. Oh, I have a, you know, like, oh, we have this problem. And I'd be like, have you thought about, have you tried? And then, uh, you know, that's how I've gotten some of the most like innovative, I think, like software development jobs. It's like a whole like subculture in its own like underground thing. And not underground because people know about it. Like a community. That's so cool, man. Sure, it's sure. interesting. And I don't, you know, I already think it's come and gone. Mm. Like I already think it's hit its peak and it's controversy and like exposed itself for oh, the okay. same stuff that every movement has exposed itself for. Mm-hmm. You know, which is... Wow. Sexism and like inability to just simply behave and be kind, you know? Yeah, yeah. Wow, man, that's crazy. So how, how much uh, out of your life do you play? Are you are you doing the gaming stuff, like, every day? 
Well, as you know, I've been in school. So yes, I want, it's yes. completely caused a problem with my <laughs> my gaming schedule. Yeah. So it's a part of your part of your schedule is gaming like part of your life yeah is, yeah, yeah yeah part of my life yeah definitely so but cool, you know man. what what always hasn't been part of my life is that netflix chill um not netflix because i'm implying sex but you know like i still have i swear i do have time for sex um <laughs> i do i make the sex i know i seem sexless but i do make the sex oh, shit. but like um you know i've never been like i was always that person that heard like you know, television, drug of a nation, beating ignorance and feeding radiation. I was always yeah. like, I don't watch TV. Like I mm. became a cord cutter really early on, but that, that two hours a day or whatever yeah. hour a day became for cord gaming. cutter. I like that. Yeah. Wow. Well, now that's an expression that's out there. Like I didn't, I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. You and I are part of the cord cutter generation. Okay. We had cords and then we didn't have cords okay. or the cord cutters. Gotcha. But you know, nobody wants to call us that. Mm. We shouldn't call us. We shouldn't say that. Okay. But yeah, my boyfriend who is, 38 hello <laughs> hello he is still a cord cutter like okay. there's we still have like okay. he still grew up in a house with the telephone you know what i mean yeah. and like a dial-up modem yeah, yeah right there yeah which actually works um that's amazing and so you're in school now which is awesome it's never too late to go to school you can always go to school it's incredible i think it's cool you're doing it's that. never too late to go to school but like right now you know right now is a really good time to go to school mm-hmm 2020, 2021, 2022, because all of the systems got rocked. Yeah. And we know, like we know, you and I know from our experience, when a system gets rocked, it means there's a crack and where there's a crack means there's an opening and where there's an opening means just step through. Love that. Right? Because right now. That's super positive. I know. That's I'm, not a wet blanket shit. That's some real, that's awesome. Until the part where I'm going to tell you, you can't afford to go do something. Like you can't, we, you can't afford this. Where's the benefit? What are you doing? Who are you? <laughs> oh, that's a really good point though. You just said it. Wow, I don't that's... care who you're doing it with, but why are you doing it? Yeah. What's your major right now? What are you trying to do? What's your goal? I want to like somehow do like an interdisciplinary look at studio art with new genre with, you know, conceptual thinking. I have been a critic of visual media since I, you know, since I looked at Sesame Street and said, I don't know. I don't know you guys. Or let's say since I looked at <laughs> Disney and said, you're no Sesame Street. Mm, you know okay, what I mean? Yeah, yeah. I guess that's a better. That's a great. Yeah, that's true. Wow. So, you know, so yeah. I love that. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't know what it's going to be. I mean, I don't even know when this is going to be released, but right now, you know, I was just. I have, you know, one of these little fantasies. I started in San Francisco in San Francisco Arts Institute and, you know, yeah. California and College of Design. Everything that's up there has, Berkeley, all of these schools have been like in my, you know, bull, bullseye for forever, yeah. but I've never been good enough. I've never been consistent enough. I've never been able to show up as a student like that. Yeah. You know, plus drugs, rock and roll, boys, touring, you know, all that stuff. Yeah. Um, you know, but he, I, I called this friend and I was like, what do you think of San Francisco Art Institute? And she said, and I quote, because here's where we are. I had a department at San Francisco State University. What exactly do you need to know? Are you thinking about coming here? Because wow. we can probably look into it. And I was just like, ah! <laughs> <laughs> don't make my vision real. Wow. But, you know, I'm looking at UCLA also because cool. UCLA. That's so cool. You're doing that. I mean, just like this 
chapter of your life, you know what I mean? All the stuff you've been through and done in your life, you know? You yeah, well, that. I'm telling you, you want to, anyone heading into ageism and uh, like sexism about the music scene, try the software scene on Versailles. It's even, mm. even more that. And, you know, I, I just three days ago, I was on a Zoom conference with all these investors for uh, this property that we're working on right now property meaning website yeah and um you you just look at all of them and i'm like you know degreed 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 and then it's like oh the funny goofy one who's the musician with the 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 amazing career arc you know and i'm just like i need to do something about like i need to do something about this Mm. i need to rebrand a little bit because i think it'd be worth it for what i'm doing yeah, how long have you been in school for now? Like how long have you it's been? It's a year. I okay. mean, I'm just still in community college, like working through math. Like yeah. I really wanted to advance through math as far as I could. I wanted to advance through English because writing is important. Yeah. You mean and inspi- I'm not that good at them. Just not that good. And I did a studio photography class. That's cool. You know, and you guys helped me out. I think I needed yeah, models. Yeah, yeah, Max and, pictures, yeah. yeah. If you see Max's picture on Instagram, his, she took those photos. Yeah. They're awesome. Hey, did you, uh, you interviewed Milo? Yeah. How was that? I didn't get to listen to that it's great. one. It's great. It's great. It's wonderful, And the man. photograph that you used? Mm-hmm. That was yours? It's one of mine. The one of him like that with the glasses? Like, yeah. No way, of man. Of Milo wearing his own shirt? Are you serious? Isn't that awesome? I'm going to tag you in that shirt. That's crazy. You don't have to tag me. I don't care. I don't know. You I mean, I think I, I feel like I released this whole body of work, wow. that one from when I raised, because I want people to use these images to further tell their stories. I love whether that. Whether it's you, whether it's him. I love that. And um, Wow, you took that photo. That's sick. Yeah. So I don't even, I mean, I know those photos, I released them in a way that hopefully they just get around. It yeah. doesn't need to necessarily be known. I took them. That's that's awesome. And though. as you know, my own website <laughs> not together yet. I it's need to get together. it together. You can't, you can't plug it right now because it's not together yet, right? I just can't. How I mean, can people so find your stuff right now if they want to find stuff? You know what? I um, I love social media, so don't get me wrong, but I really am trying to move anybody who's really interested about what I do. I'm interested in what they do. So I, I started a just a plain old email newsletter where I'm just collecting people's like email addresses and their addresses to be able to, you know, like send stuff (laughs) out. And we've done like, you know, postcard exchanges and just done some fun stuff. So you could go to jenniferfinch.com. I believe the form is there. Let me know if it's not working. If it's really important to anyone to get in touch with me, my, my phone numbers on my Instagram. Wow, man, that's freaking awesome. So you can, uh, text me directly but please note that is my home phone number so mm. and the days of getting late night drunk calls yeah, no I st- calling, you know what honestly shit. well there's no there's no i don't answer the phone unless you're in my book <laughs> I, and you know like the whole texting has this new thing now where everything gets pushed to the side if someone's not you know that did you see that what do there's you mean your texting gets what do you mean for on the iPhone, there's a re- the release within the last three months. If it's an unknown phone number, it goes to a specialty folder and not in your regular stream. Wow. So a person needs to be in your contacts. So be patient if you do try to talk to me that way. It may wow. not get to you. I like when they get the call and it says scam likely. Oh, I love scam I likely. Love that I love so scam much. likely. And now I'm, I'm answering scam likely and it's like, hey, it's your doctor's office. Really? We have a, yeah, scam likely isn't. Oh, wow. I didn't know that. I thought it was just all like just telemarketers and stuff. Wow. Man. Mostly, but not always. Well, you have you have such an um, incredible journey, and I appreciate your time today and telling your story. And the documentary is incredible. 
Um, and that's on all platforms, right? Yep. Is it Netflix too, right? Yep. Yeah. The documentary is on all platforms. It's called Pretend We're Dead. It's the great, L7 man. story. Check it out. You know, we released a record yep. last year called yep. Scatter the Rats. It's yep, on right Blackheart, yep. which is Joan Jett's label. Ooh, Again, like I said, the reissue on vinyl of the full length version of Smell the Magic is out. And then all the you other. You get that fast. Only 500 copies. That's going to sell fast. That's huge. That's amazing. Yeah, that's super limited. Yeah. I love that. Shoot, I don't even have one. You, you just reminded me. You have me. to get one, man. I'm you always want to have your vinyl of Where that. am I going to put it? Just have it. You, you click vinyl? I probably, yeah. You do? <laughs> I, I do, but I click, like, I, so I always I told myself when I was younger that my 50s were going to be about understanding jazz and classical, and then I, I really never thought I'd have to do it. Mm. So I've been listening to vinyl. Yeah. Jazz and I like jazz. I don't know, but classical. My son plays classical piano from Hamilton, obviously, and we listen to classical in the car. We go surfing in the morning. It's really nice and relaxed. I do appreciate that, actually. Yeah, again, it's one of those things where you need more information to 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 dive into it. Like mm. when you know the context and yeah. you know like where it came from and why it's important. Yeah. You know what I mean? And that's a lot. You know, sometimes you just want to rock. Sometimes you just need some Imagine Dragon. You're just like, yeah. very, very, <laughs> or like. 21 pilot so okay, final question is there so i guess it'd be them is there like a group that people would never expect jennifer finch from l7 to listen to that's not from i don't know the genre like is there a band that you love that's like so random mine's coldplay and i i, I love my favorite band so I, i'm not scared i well, for me, it has to go back to songs that were, in order to define yourself, you had to hate them. So like... That's great. Uh, that Marcy's too. Playground. Wow. Okay. I will <laughs> run through the house singing, to which Jack usually throws something and closes the door. Yeah. It's been it's been kind of brutal in 2020, but... <laughs> Marcy's Playground? Talk about getting work, though. That guy has not stopped working. He's a mm. commercial illustrator. I didn't know that. Commercial illustrator. I'm not familiar with like, that band. I know the name. I'm not familiar with the with Marcy's Playground. Yeah, I'll, I'll look it up. I'm looking it up. I'm, I'm, I'm checking it out. I'm just gonna, I was just gonna say, there she was, dun, dun, disco lemonade. There she was. Was that '90s? Yes. Okay. Okay. That's I'm what I'm saying. You could have completely okay. missed it. You could yeah. unless you went into a lot of Seven Elevens. You could have completely missed it in the '90s. What about what about any hip hop for you? you no know hip hop. I've always listened to hip hop. Okay. I mean, yeah. Come on. Yeah. Come on. I, do, I always say that the mo like people are always like, what's the most defining moment in rock? I'm like, yeah, when I heard NWA. Sick. Did when that record. So punk. When that record dropped from Los Angeles. We're talking about times there was nothing coming out of LA. Yeah. Like the hardcore, everything was in New York. Yeah. Everything was in New York. If you needed that thing, mm -hmm. you had to go to you guys to go get that. Yeah. I was like, yes, I'm scared and, and attracted. I'm scared and attracted. <laughs> yeah. I think you're one of my first guests that actually is born and raised in L.A., actually, to be honest. Really? Our, no, our, Angelo. Oh, well, right, he kind of right. has, he's kind of from the north, I suppose, mm. but he's from the valley. Okay, okay. But you, you have so many roots here and so much history. It's amazing. And when, and we, and when we mentioned early listeners that she went to Hamilton, that's where my son goes, which is a music program where the Interrupters went and Nipsey Hussle went. And Jennifer Finch went. Who else went there in Hamilton, you said earlier? Do you remember? Some other musicians came from Hamilton? I thought you said somebody earlier. Maybe I'm wrong. Fishbone. Fishbone, yeah. Right. Hamilton High. But Great then house. you know, like all the Chili Peppers and other people went to Fairfax. Fairfax High, yeah. Wow. Really? 
which I would have thought would have been more your district, sitting here in your house, not Fairfax. Bye. Well, my son was in Larchmont Charter, then we had to get him. Um, Got it. Came to this one, but yeah. my son's after my son was in the sheltered bubble of Larchmont Charter, which is a great school. I love you, Larchmont Charter. It's great. My son said, "I want to go to a school where there's lockers and bullies." He wanted to go to more reality, and so he chose. He tried out and got into Hamilton, playing nice. drums and stuff. So, the rest is history. Um, well, thank you for your time. I went through. All, I have all my notes. I went through all your shit. You have such an incredible journey. I'm honored to call you my friend. I learned so much about you today and through the fucking documentary and my wife's love for your band and everything about you. Um, <laughs> she was so happy I had you here today. Where can, where can people see your photos though? On the same website? They can't. Okay. I mean, there's... You can Google her shit and you can find it because that's yeah, how I found I'm her gonna stuff. Do, and, I'm, I'm going to do a, a limited release with punk rock paintbrushes mm, of four images. Okay. So uh, you should probably go there. Again. I think there should be a GoFundMe for uh, fourteen and shooting. I think that should be a book. I think I don't want it. I don't want to do a book. Okay, okay, okay. I know I don't want to do a book. This is the kind of thing that I'm talking about. I don't, I uh, I don't like okay. stale media. I don't okay, want to I, I produce more crap. But thank you. But I, what I I'm thinking that. about doing, if you, anyone wants to sign up, hopefully I'll get this together. Is I want to do a fanzine, which I would release my work, and then also do a little interview like you're doing That's with cool. me now in fanzine format to which they could subscribe pay kind of probably i mean those fanzines are like 20 bucks just to produce them so they'd probably be like six like maybe a buy-in of 200 bucks and then you would get six issues i love it you're talking fanzines and newsletters it's i love that man well that's still how we can interact yeah. like that's still like i don't want to release a book and then have someone come to me and go like oh my god that's my photo i'm in that 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 see i want to be able to like mm. then be able to reimagine this with a new an, an image of like maybe it's just an image of the dead kennedys at the yeah. whiskey and then be able to say oh that's so and so they're in it so to me it's like it never worked as a website yeah i love that kind of deal but i have some ideas yeah well, I love your journey. I appreciate you and your story and everything you've been through and where you're at now. And you inspired a lot of people with your work and everything. It's awesome. Thank you so much. I hope that we inspire. I, I hope to continue to inspire. That's, yeah. you know, and support. You are. You inspire me actually to learn more, maybe read more and look at things more and check out different things. I'm a terrible reader. I need to step that up. Just other things. You know what I mean? Yeah. You know, we're living in a revolution. This doesn't, you can cut the thing. Okay. <laughs> We're living. That, that's a good way to end it, though. We're living in a revolution. Yeah, I love we're that. living in a revolution right now, and yeah. I know that like people get. But man, artists and how things are going to work. Yeah. Are you still recording? I can shut it off though. Okay. Hey guys, thanks for listening. Um, please rate, review, uh, subscribe if you haven't subscribed yet to this podcast. Please do that, and whatever platform you are listening to this on, I'm glad you found me. You can rate me and review me on there also. So thank you guys sincerely for the support. I cannot wait for you guys to hear the next one.